Hey everyone, welcome to the Big Monday Show. This is the Going in Circles Podcast Network. My name is Charles Simon. I'm the host of the Big Monday Show. My co-host, the sniper, Mr. Barry Spears, will be with us in just a minute. We have a lot to talk about this week. The derby prep season's over, but the derby field is not quite set. Um, For the most part it is, but there's a couple stragglers. There's horses that literally weren't on the derby trail a week ago that might be drawn into the Kentucky Derby this year held on May 1st. Um, It's kind of a bizarre... It's been a bizarre derby trail. And uh, I actually wrote about that in the Going in Circles Digest, which uh, was sent out today. And uh, Barry and I will discuss uh, some of the stuff I wrote, and uh, we'll get into... uh, We'll get into that. We have a, a heavyweight matchup this coming weekend at Oakland between Swiss Skydiver and, and Monomoy Girl. A, a rare occasion where the two best horses um, face off before the Breeders' Cup. Uh, should be a, a great race. I'm not exactly sure how many other fillies are going to be in there. But um, I do applaud the, the connections for, for going ahead and, and uh, not, not ducking. No ducking. Um, I'm actually going to have Mr. McPeak on tomorrow. He's going to be on Going Circles Live to talk about Swiss Skydiver and uh, his upset win over uh, over a sloppy surface with the Lexington with King Fury and what his plans with him are and uh, talk a little bit about his app, um, horse racing now, and some of the difficulties he's had uh, dealing with the red tape of horse racing. Anyways, we'll be back in just a minute. The sniper is holding on the line. Hey everyone, I want to talk to you about BRL Equine. BRL Equine is a company that would be considered by most the premier equine supplement company in horse racing. They spent a lot of money, millions, on, on research and development before they put these products out. This is not uh, a fly-by-night organization just tossing some couple things together and, and throwing it out there. The, they use FDA-supervised facilities. What they say is in the products is actually in the products. Nothing illegal, nothing illicit. It's perfectly legal, and it's beneficial for your horse's health. They have a new product called Flexify that's been only uh, out on the market for, I think, about six weeks, and the early returns are great. I know a lot of trainers that have given me feedback, and these are guys that are going to tell me the truth. Um, There's a million supplements out there, a lot of things that people have tried that haven't really been effective, and so far, everyone seems to really believe that Flexify HA is, is, a, is a really excellent uh, supplement to help the horse's joints. Contact my friend Joe Vellante at 215-501-6880 or get a hold of me at goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and I will get Joe in touch with you. And uh, if you're lucky, you might even get him for a lunch. But BRL Equine is a really good company, and they have some really, really good supplements. And if you're an owner 
Ask your trainer. If you're a trainer, give Joe a call. Thanks. Welcome to the Big Monday Show this weekend. Well, this is not weekend. No. It's Monday. It's Monday. We jumped the gun. <laughs> and you're not the weekend. I could be. You don't have that cheesy mustache. No, I, I can't even grow facial hair, dude. So, what about your singing? Yeah. You, have, you have a voice, singing voice. Um, yeah, I do actually. Ah, yeah, we might have to. Uh, I have to break that. Get out. a sample. Get a sample. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't want to hear my singing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. Yeah. People be emailing you everything under the sun. Like, what are you doing? Maybe towards the end of the show when people are a little bit softened up by the early pace. Yeah, we lull them to sleep for an hour and then hit them with the concert. In the <laughs> oh, man. Well, derby prep season's over. Yeah, it's crazy. I was I was looking at things today and I was like, well, I would like to say this, the field is set, but it doesn't really feel that way. No, it almost feels like um, <laughs> like there's a piece missing to this puzzle. Uh, and, and I know there's always a, a little bit of jockeying towards the bottom of the uh, Derby Point system standings every year. Is There's generally some guys trying to get in um, that need a little bit of help. And this year, it seems like the horses on the top of the the points list are are kind of strangers in a men, in many ways and um and I wrote about that today in the going in circles digest I, I did a piece about something that we've talked about a lot during the last six or seven months um, talking about the derby point system how it skews things uh, where you're basically turning these last round of preps into Powerball tickets and that you don't have to do anything else as long as you run one, two in those races. And, you know, my premise is that that's hurting the business because it, it's discouraging participation from horses, young horses that, that need to be racing there's no way of, of gaining experience without racing. And people these days are too quick to put horses on ice trying to avoid things like avoid them peaking too soon or avoid them getting hurt. And you can't. It's just the way it is. You can't stop that. You can't stop your horse from peaking too soon by just not racing them. They'll go over the top in your training. And, you know, the derby and... Like one, one of my sentences in the piece was that the Derby and the Triple Crown itself have kind of an overstated importance now in our racing calendar, like outside of the Breeders' Cup, which really it doesn't measure up, even though there's 14 races and it's, it's probably a, a better measure of a competition. Um, the Derby and, you know, to a lesser extent, the Preakness and the Belmont, are, are so far ahead of everything else in connections desire to win um, that it's just like um, 
people just want to be there. And, and I understand the allure of it, but it's hurting our game because so many horses are just so ill-prepared to do what they're going to be asked to do in a couple of weeks. And, you know, my, my, basically the premise is that if the Derby point system was a little more equitable, the last rounds weren't worth quite so much the earlier rounds. And I'm not talking about two year races. The two year races are fine. Um, but the three year old races, and, and it really kind of hit on this year in the beginning of this calendar year, there was a round of Derby preps in New York and um, in Florida and the Mucho Macho Man, which is not even a points race. And, um, the race in, in, in uh, Southern California, I can't remember which one it was, the, the first three-year-old race of the year. And they had these short fields. And it's because no one, um, they don't look at those races as important because they're only worth 10 lousy points. And I get that. I, I understand, like, you know, people can do math. They can see one race is worth 100, one race is worth 50, one race is worth 10. And it just isn't, it's a bad precedence because the the reason that they they weighted everything so so much was an overreaction to two year olds in the old system uh precocious two year olds earning a little too much money as two year olds and not really being derby worthy type horses but getting it anyways and it was an overreaction and and it it's now that that doesn't happen anymore so we need to to, to to pair this back and make the January, February, March, April months, the, the 120 days or so, they need to be more important than just the last two years has just um, caused a little bit of chaos this year. And I, I know this is kind of a limited <laughs> of things, but basically you really would be better off if these horses had three and four races coming into the Derby because not only would they be more prepared, better prepared physically, mentally, the whole thing, they would be probably more likely to not self-destruct in the Derby like so many do every year. And there's always going to be a couple that aren't in the Derby for the right reason. They're in the Derby because the owner wants to be there and the trainer knows the horse has got no shot and he knows the horse hasn't belonged in the race but he also might train 20 or 30 or other horses for the guy, and he just doesn't want to get fired. Yeah, look at the uh, soup and sandwich, the predicament that horse is in. <laughs> right, and, and it's like, here we are, and I get it. Everybody wants to be in the Derby. Everybody wants to win the Derby. And, and I even made the point that, you know, the old quote, you, you can't win it if you're not in it. It's valid. It's a valid point. But – Having horses like Soup and Sandwich is, is a perfect example. And Mark Cassie, I'm sorry. You're my man. And, uh, you know, I like you. I really do. And I, I like your willingness to speak up. But your horses have no chance. And mostly because Soup and Sandwich got a late start. And, uh, you know, Helium is just, I, I just don't even. Not fast. I just don't even he isn't get he's fast why he, that horse, there's so many preps available to try to. Um, you know, give that horse a little more seasoning. The horse has never been behind horses. And in the morning doesn't count. It's a 20-horse field. And it's just frustrating to me. And, and I don't like 
you know, I don't want to pick on anyone because I also don't know, you know, we don't know the physical characteristics of a horse. <clears throat> some horses are lighter. Some of them can't stand the training, you know, all, all those things. And, and obviously you can only be as forthcoming as a trainer as, as, as you, you, you can be in, in some ways. And that, uh, you have to watch out because some people will use what you say against you. Um, but that being said, his two horses are like the poster children. Uh, Ron Bauer, my horse, he might not even run in a derby. And, and that's kind of been like the most bizarre um, campaign that they, they, they scratched. <laughs> and then they, they, they went up to, you know, the owners, I guess, wanted to go up to race in Bay Meadows. Or not Bay Meadows. I keep saying Bay Meadows. Bay Meadows is dead. Uh. Bay Meadows is dead. But, um, you know, the, the, the El Camino Real. And because um, I think the El Camino Real used to be at Bay Meadows, that's why I, I associated with it. But yeah. then, then they come up in, the, in like the worst possible race by going to the uh, the one race that had zero pace in it, um, the Bluegrass. And now, after you know running deceptively good in the Bluegrass against the you know the grain of, of the way he wants to race, now I hear they're going to pass the Derby, like. Yeah, I mean, it would be worth it their while to take a shot. I mean, it's not like, you know, like uh, life is good is in there. I mean, that horse clearly seems superior, you know, now that everything's kind of shaken out. That horse isn't in there and everybody's pretty much about the same. It's just a matter of, you know, where the chips kind of fall, you know, pace wise and everything else. But I would give Rumbauer a better shot in the Derby than any other classic race, to be honest. <laughs> it's so true. And it's like, why, why, like why the pre Preakness might be tougher than the Derby. You might have a 14 horse field in the Preakness this year. There's a lot of horses that, that are kind of. Yeah. They're just around. waiting. That, that didn't get points. Like, like a horse like prevalence, you know? I mean, he, he's probably going to get some something out of that loss in the wood. Um, he had a late start, you know, had a setback. And now, you know, he's not that bad. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a talented horse. He was just, yeah, people have to forget the wrong spot. Like, yeah. I would say this to every single owner, and I would be right 99.999% of the time. Your horse isn't curling, your horse isn't justified. Yes, it happened. But Giacomo won. That doesn't mean you should run 50 to one shots all the time. It, <laughs> it's just in the history of the Derby. And, I, and yes, things that happened 50, 100 years ago don't matter, right? I mean, they have no bearing. Truth is, nothing matters that happened last year or the year before. Really, it's a completely different group of horses. It just doesn't – sometimes we get too caught up in, oh, well, you know, this post position hasn't done good and that post position. I mean, come on. It's, it's a, it's a one-race-a-year kind of thing. Sample size is just one race a year. So there's way too much, you know, brought about that. But the fact is just on, on basic horsemanship, basic common sense, that a mile and a quarter race on the dirt is a difficult race for horses, period, in this country. We don't have the stamina bred in our horses like we used to. So right away, it, it's kind of, um, uh, it's an outlier already right so of the 20 in the race how many of them really want to go a mile and a quarter in the dirt maybe four right i was gonna say less than half <laughs> right and of the four maybe the ones that do have the proper stamina really don't have enough 
aren't, aren't really fast enough. They can just get it. <laughs> they, don't, they, they won't be tired, but they won't be anywhere close to the, the front either. So, um, so you're already disqualifying most of the field as being capable of, of running that distance in a, a representative time and that would get them in a winter circle. So, you know, that being said, um, you know, at some point we're going to get a maiden in the Derby because they're going to run in one of these Derby cup Derby, you know, last leg races and they're going to run second and they're going to get in and everybody's going to like, you know, say, Oh, we got to put a rule, no maidens or this or that. So <laughs> a lot of the horses that are, that are in these races aren't that far removed from being maidens. They're one race removed from being maidens. So what it's, it's not like they're, Right, it's not like it's a far-fetched thing. It's very close to happening, like you said. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on. And the, the, the way Churchill Downs has set up the points, it just doesn't make any sense to have the Southwest and, and, and some of those other races, the Robert Lewis, be worth 10 points. 10! How can it be worth one-tenth of, of what the UAE Derby is? And, and sure, Churchill shields itself by having the, uh, the Turfway race be worth 100 points. But whatever, um, you know, Craig from from Timeform US, uh, he read the piece, and uh, I'm not just saying this because he, he said nice things, but um, but he 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 made a, a couple you know statements about um, you know in particular the UAE Derby and the Turfway race, and and my point that I made to him was like, well, why not just have an 18 horse field for, with the Derby point system and have two kind of invitationals and use the invitationals for all the Europeans and all the Japanese horses and all the horses from Dubai and, you know, have a list. You don't even have to run for points. You're going to have special Derby designated races. And at the end of the Derby designated races, um, when they're all done, then, you know, you, you pick out three or four of them and you invite them and you see if they want to come. And if they do, then they get one of the, the you know, they, they get those two, um, they get those two spots. Because I know they want a Japanese horse badly because that opens up the Japanese pools, which are massive. Um, certainly the same with the European horse who, who would bring European money into the pools. Um, I don't know that... Uh, I mean, if an American horse goes and is getting his ass kicked over here, he goes to Dubai and he wins UA Derby. I mean, that's really not going to bring any extra money in. It's just going to be, you know, Doug O'Neill's fourth best horse who happened to go over there and, and, and uh, you know, beat a bunch of European turf horses. So I get why they want to do that, but they're just crafty ways of doing things. But I just think that the last round of preps are worth too much. The first rounds aren't worth en worth enough, and um, you know Craig even suggested a 25, 50, 75 point uh, three level tier, which which would be fine, which would work fine. And I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but uh, everybody can kind of see the the difference, you know, between a 25 point race and a 75 point race. Clearly, the the 75 point race is more important, but it's not 10 times more important. I've talked a lot. Say something. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, that, that kind of process with the point system, I think it should be reevaluated every year based on a lot of circumstances. 
Um, and they should try something new, like you said, do an invitational spots or, you know, there, there's a lot of things they can do. Um, <clears throat> I mean, they did go out on a limb and start the point system to begin with. So they do have the ability to change, but it's like now we're stuck and now you're getting these horrible trends that don't make the race as quite as quality as it should be. So you have these horses that are so inexperienced, win one race and they're in basically, or finish, you know, high up in a, in a race and uh, get in. But are they really worthy of being a derby horse? Probably not. And that's the, that's not a good trend when you have good horses on the outside looking in. And in a, in a way, it's counterintuitive and it makes the Preakness better as a whole. Daniel Velasquez, who, who raced um, Brooklyn Strong in the wood, uh, he hasn't been training that long, and he's done a really good job in his, his brief career. And they gave the horse a little too much time off, and I got the scramble, and I mean, he got himself got physically injured. He, like, lacerated his liver or something horrible. But, um, yeah, you know, he was trying to, to, to hit the lottery ticket, by entering him in the wood and the horse ran okay in the wood. He got down on the inside and he kind of like didn't get the cleanest of trips, but he wasn't exactly raging with, with, uh, with, with horse running for home either. And he kind of ran flat and yeah, he needed it. He needed, he needed the experience. The experience. And, and he admitted that the other day, which is kind of nice to see. He hasn't learned that uh, as a trainer, you're supposed to just, you know, like, bullshit everybody all the time but he, he told the truth and he said you know the truth is that um we probably gave him a little bit too much to do and that uh he needs a little more experience and he, he probably wasn't quite fit enough because it's hard to get horses fit to run distance and especially ones off of layup especially two-year-olds turning three um it, it's a difficult thing and it just is. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and when you don't have a lot of horses, uh, like you don't have the Todd Pletcher lineup or the Bob Baffert lineup, where you have a uh, hundred cults every year coming in or 90 or 80 or whatever they get. Um, it's, it's not quite as easy to grind them up because you're going to be a little bit more cautious with, with your horses that show a lot of ability and that's not a criticism it's, it's a it's a statement of fact that in a trainer with um a lot of uh, a trainer with a lot of bullets is, is far more likely to uh to, to fire them well look at Clutcher. i mean <laughs> you know that that explains the bourbonic experience right now right i mean bourbonic has got no chance right no, but, but i mean he was he was they were like all right well we'll, we'll just run him and see what happens, and and lo and behold, he finishes one two in the race. I mean, he may he may disagree with us on on the the late in the game theory. I don't think he would. Disagree. I'll be <laughs> honest, he, he wouldn't disagree. I mean, the one thing about probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, say the way he, he sounded, <laughs> a he's just not fast enough. I mean, that was a glacially slow race all the way around. No, no, no he, figures have that race not slow, but he does have the requisite. Um, experience. He he, yes. he is a horse. He's he's won two. Been running. He's won two or uh, three races now. Um, he's been <clears> running, uh, and I think that happens sometimes 
Uh, I, I think Bob Baffert's horse that, that's most equipped to win the, the, the derby, if he's good enough, I don't know if he's good enough, is Medina Spirit because Bob kept running him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't mess around. He didn't ship him out of town. He didn't duck. He didn't dive. He just kept running him. And he, his owner is a, is, a, is a newer guy. And, of course, they're just going to you know do whatever Bob wants to do. Um, but the horse has had four two-turn races this year. And to me, that makes That's him great. one of the few um, horses that, that has the requisite experience to do that. Even Justify had three, um, you know, a couple two-turn races going in. These horses with one two-turn race, uh, especially ones that wind up getting, um, you know, really good trips uh, not 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 I guess not good trips but winnable trips the derby's so much different um and I think that and I know Swifty's gonna cry about this but oh no <laughs> I mean concert tour at one to five was was a ridiculous price and you know humble brag I bet on the winner and it was not that I thought the winner was some star horse, but to me, he was the most likely to benefit from Cotto River and Concert Tour going head and head. And Brad Cox had said after there was quite a bit of criticism for rating Cotto River, and it didn't work, obviously did not work, that they were not going to rate him in this race. And that put the ball in, in Joe Rosario's Court um, and the fact of the matter was that Cotter River didn't even break that grade, but nope. Giroud sent him because that was what he was told to do, and he will follow instructions. And the fact is that the horse ran a whole lot better. You know, <laughs> he ran a whole lot better than he did. I mean, people forget. Like, say, well, he got in the finished tour. in front of concert well, tour. He, 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 <laughs> that he, was really the main objective. Yes, he finished in front of concert tour, and I mean, remember his last race? He was backing through the field, knocking horses over. He was. It wasn't his, you know, he doesn't want to race that way. So, and that was kind of like a harken back to the old days when, when guys would, would race, would, they didn't always, you know, take hold. Everyone takes hold, no speed. Everybody gallops around there and blah, 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 blah. blah. I mean, God, it's, it's, sometimes it's, 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 it's amazing that they, they race on the dirt like they used to race on the turf. But, uh, I, I thought that, um, that Steve Asmussen's horse was the most likely to benefit from the speed duel um, because, you know, interestingly enough, and we, you and I had talked about it before, Peter Miller's horse going in that race, that horse always was, was on the lead too. So why he chose to go back to that race, I don't know. I don't know why he didn't go to um, the bluegrass where maybe the, he wouldn't have been able to beat the top two in the bluegrass, but he certainly – probably would have been on the lead and then that's seems like that's the style he wants to run and and he actually ran pretty decent coming from behind um in that race but i think he ran decent because the the leaders kind of came back to the field more than anything yeah uh, i i just you know it's just crazy how they they play around with the tactics so wildly i i guess uh cattle river could afford to in a sense because they knew they were going to run in the arkansas derby but i mean i guess i in a in a in a perfect world 
he would have ran that same race in the Arkansas Derby uh, one race before and may have not have needed to run in the Arkansas Derby, which is probably where they wanted to sit going in, you know, instead of having that hard race. I, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm not a believer in hard race. It's, I, I, I mean, it's hard to speculate, but in the history I would racing, too. I've seen very few horses that didn't have hard races. Sometimes you lose a hard race. Um, I just think that's a, it's, it's a, it's trying to manipulate well, that's the why I, form. I, like you're trying to, oh, well, we don't want to right. run too fast of a number because, you know, well, the best three-year-olds can replicate the number. Right. It can duplicate it. It can pair up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's why I think the, the bluegrass has ended up being a lot stronger of a race, even though it was a two horse race. Those two horses are probably, you know, at the top of the class, at least going into the derby. They are. Um, and I don't think I don't. But think it's highly motivated tough. can go a mile and a quarter under. I don't think you can get a mile and a quarter. I think that horse was was not tired because Chad Brown didn't have him ready. I'm, I believe he had him ready to run as good as he could run. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the horse, his pedigree is, is going to allow him to get the distance. Um, I mean, honestly, we could go through the derby horses one by one, and we won't do that tonight, but uh, maybe next week or the week after, probably closer to the derby, um, and we, yeah. we have a better idea of, of the definites. Um, but <laughs> There, every horse has got a flaw, and every horse has got a big flaw. And essential quality has less flaws, but he's not really that much faster than everybody else. And I think that that's probably the flaw I'd like to have if I had one was like, yeah, I'm the best, but I'm just not like as good as everyone probably thinks I am kind of the best. But um... well, I, don't, I, I don't know. This might sound weird, but I just don't like the way he wins races. It doesn't feel like he puts horses away like with authority. It seems like he's the luckiest horse running. Like everything all well, yeah, he gets a perfect trip every time, him, right? Like like the Breeders' Cup. Um and I get that you know, you can say well he's got a, a, an adaptable style, which is true. And he can, you know, he's got tactical speed and it's hard to knock an undefeated horse that really hasn't done anything bad and and it's not any you know, bad races, but it seems like everything works out. And, you know, the Breeders' Cup, no one, at least I don't know that anyone that saw the Breeders' Cup uh, juvenile playing out like it did. I mean, I could see people that thought essential quality would, would win because he had, he had run well in his previous two races. But the way the race, I mean, I don't think anyone saw Jackie's Warrior late fourth, right? Um <laughs> Yeah. On a track that was playing super duper and, and fast. Hot Rod Charlie, like almost hanging on. I mean, nobody saw Hot Rod Charlie. He was like on to one. So, you know, he ran him down, but he, he got um, a, a pretty good trip. He, he really had clear sailing from the, the half mile pole home. Uh, and then in the Southwest, um, uh, Jackie's Warrior, like, you know, self destructed. Nobody else <laughs> in the race has shown anything since that race um and i mean essential quality is bred to like the mud he certainly handled it very well so that that's probably a plus in uh, in his side too but then this other race the, the the bluegrass that comes up with no speed 
and not really much talent-wise outside of a highly motivated. And, I mean, you could you, I've watched that replay a hundred times. I don't think he gets by highly motivated if highly motivated stays on his right lead. I really don't. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I've watched that a few times. I mean, he barely wins the race. And, and it's like, I think if you turn the race off, you turn the sound off and you just watch the race without the sound. Because Kurt Becker kind of makes it sound like it was inevitable that he was going to get by him. And, and I, I just think that it wasn't that sure. I didn't think it was that sure. I didn't think he was going to get there. I, I didn't think he was going to get there either. But that, that last lead change and where he kind of ducked in, I, I think that was, um, I think that was the, that was what got the horse beat. And, uh, and, and listen, had he finished second in that race, it doesn't change anything about the Kentucky Derby. I mean, He's the same horse going in, having, having, whether he had lost the, by a nose or whether he had won by a nose. And, um, but uh, it, it's, it's telling, I think, that, that um, he hasn't been the prohibitive favorite all year. People have been trying to find horses to, uh, to beat him with. And uh, everybody just kind of, uh, you know... One by one, they keep crapping the bed. And, yeah, it just feels like the 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 shoe's gonna fall, and and he's not gonna show up one of these times. No, but you know, listen, knowing him, all the speed will draw inside. He'll draw a post like number eight, <laughs> and they'll go like five way speed duel. He'll he'll get up. He'll find a, a path up the rail. You know, <laughs> open up three, <laughs> barely hold on to like. Uh, King Fury, you're some horse that no one even considered in the Derby like last week, and and, and everybody will say, "Oh my God, he's like Seattle Slough." <laughs> oh man! <laughs> uh, and my and my contrary nature will be just like, Ugh. You kidding me? <laughs> uh, it was funny. What was we talking about it? Um, about how people these days always want to think that they're seeing something that's like, um, you know, the greatest ever. Amazing. All that basketball yeah. game between Gonzaga and UCLA was the greatest tournament game ever. Uh, Eesh, no, you know, like the, this is, oh, that's the greatest. This Zenyatta, the greatest Philly ever is, uh, this horse. I mean, no, no, even though David Gordo gave a year's ID to help us sneak in. He did. But, that he did. He took one for the team, or tried to anyway. No. And, and I think that's part. That's part of the culture of that we live in, though. And that's that social media um, hot take. Hey, uh, you just saw something that no one else has ever seen. It, it's like when a guy when they say nobody in Boston Celtics history has ever got thirty-seven points and fourteen rebounds and seven assists and nine steals and three turnovers and and four. Uh, three points was made and two technical fouls. I mean, like, uh, yeah, okay. So, you know. <laughs> so he got the 37, 14, 7, 4, 6, 3, 4, 9. You know, <laughs> he's got that stat locked up, you know. And we get that so many, you know, so many times you, you hear you know people say that. Ah, oh, so-and-so, is, he's one of the great, Kevin Durant's one of the top two scores of all time. Whoa. Yeah, well, there's this guy called Will Chamberlain, scored 50. 
<laughs> maybe the game wasn't quite the same as it is, but it still counts, and he still do, he scored 50 every single game. And then there was this guy, this Jordan guy, and um, he scored like 35 points a game. <laughs> Kareem. Uh, yeah, Kareem scored like 17 million points. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's a lot of hyperbole, especially around this time of year. I, I mean, at this point, I, I think it, it would be missed if I didn't see it. You know what I mean? Like, if people kind of dialed it down. I kind of enjoy seeing it, but at the same time, it's like, be realistic. <laughs> like, listen, going into the Arkansas Derby, right? Concert Tour was the favorite for the future, at the, you know, for the Kentucky Derby. He lost oh, yeah. the race. The winner got a 92 buyer. Ugh. But that's on par with his races, though. That's what I mean. He's just not that fast. Yeah. I, when I no. did the preview for the race the other last week, one of the things, because it wasn't a very race interesting race to kind of analyze because to just, number one, it was a short field. And if you take them at their face value, then you know, the interesting part was Cotto River and Contrator were going to duel, which they kind of did. Um, but what I did with Contrator was kind of take a look using his Ragazin sheet numbers. And Ragazin puts the numbers out every week um, for like the top 10, 12 races. And looking at the winner's figures, and yes, sometimes with Ragazin figures or thoroughbred figures, the, the winner doesn't necessarily have to get the best number. I mean, the winner might get a perfect inside trip and and uh horse who finished second might have been five wide in the first turn and four wide in the second turn and, and giving them eight pounds and you know so it's not an exact science but essentially looking at the winners of the prep races he really wasn't that fast and he was kind of somewhere right in the middle of the road and if you take bob baffert's name out of it and you put that give that horse to uh you know not a not a you know not a no name guy, but uh, give him to um, I don't know. I don't want to disparage anyone, but uh, <laughs> give him to Ron Moquette. Moquette doesn't care. All right, you give him to Ron Moquette. Is that horse the future book favorite going into the Arkansas Derby? Absolutely, Absolutely not. One hundred percent, no chance. So the one thing about Baffert. And he, he's got so many, um, he's had so many potential derby horses to go along with all his actual derby horses is that the fast ones are, I mean, this, this sounds kind of ludicrous, but the fast ones are the good ones, right? The ones that don't show on speed figures, even with him training, they usually don't jump up and, and, and show this huge improvement. They usually have shown it. They've, they've run the big numbers. And I, I don't say this, and this is not a segue <laughs> into Bezos. <laughs> oh, Bezos boy. was slow going in. He was slow coming out of the Lexington. Yeah, that's, that's the, the hype. The hype horse forever. I don't know how that started. I, I'd like to hear the story behind that. Especially his first I mean, he start. He was hyped three months before he started. You know, I right. think part of it is he's a big horse. And 
He had been working pretty well, and people love big horses. People, love big horses. yeah, Dortmund. Look at Dortmund. I looked at Dortmund at the two-year-old training sale. I thought he was too big. Like Clydesdale, man. But I mean, our, our people couldn't afford him anyways. But but he was just so big, <laughs> and it's it's hard. It's hard. Being big is hard on a horse. Um, you know, hit the ground harder. It's harder to get in and out of the gate. It's harder to, to, to come up inside between horses. Yes, horses will bounce off you and, and, and that, but a big horse that's fast is, is a really an impressive-looking thing. I mean, they just look, you know, they just look bigger and better and stronger. Like Catalina Cruiser. Right. I mean, what would be more impressive when running down the court? Say they were going the same speed. Uh, Steve Nash or LeBron James, right? Everybody's LBJ. taking James because they're saying, well, look, they're the same speed. Look at that guy. Oh, my God. But that's that's just the way it is. And I think that might have been part of it. Um, but, I mean, clearly his his hype is, is just hype. I mean, he's just not very fast. And, that, and that's the thing about backwards horses. They don't usually develop, you know, they usually come out developed. Like when he runs them, he, he doesn't run them into shape. I mean, his horses are, are, are there. You know, when he runs them, they're, they're there or they're real close to being there. And the one thing about the one thing about Contrator was he had run, you know, good numbers, solid numbers, but he hadn't run top of the class numbers, and he didn't again. I don't know what he ran um, sheet wise. Uh, we know. I would I would take a guess and say it was probably about a four, four, four and a half move up off his last race. Right, exactly. I mean, he was two wide instead of one wide. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, Cotto River wasn't particularly fast. Nobody, nobody in that no, race he just, was in the right place at the and right that time. That was another reason why I thought that, it, you know, a long shot was to play in there because you're going to get a horse that's pretty much about as fast as the, the, the horses who are getting all the money and, and you're getting a better price. And I don't want to make this about price because listen, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not going to proclaim some expert because I had 12 one shot, at six horse field, the speed duel, <laughs> the speed duel was announced before the race. I mean, it was kind of, to me, it was kind of easy, but um, I mean, really you had to guess between two Hozier or him. And, and I didn't like Hozier. I didn't like Hozier pretty much for the reasons I just said about Baffert. Is that, you know, he's just kind of shit. Hozier might get in slow, and he's really not developed much. And Baffert horses, they they're they're usually there. They're you know, Baffert's got the five star guys, the one and duns. He doesn't have the guys that are good as a senior. You know, so well that's that's it goes to show you, and I I think I said this on. On social media, it just goes to show you how superior life is good was is, you know. And the funny thing is, it's it looks like right now, and, and this is kind of something that we've preached, kind of quietly, but you know, said this the whole time. The West Coast horses just look better, better. Yeah, uh, Hot Rod better. Charlie. Now you got Rocky World. I mean, I know Medina Spirit doesn't get a lot of respect, but all he does is is, is run, you know, run well. Um, 
life is good obviously is is off the is off the charts now but um i mean those those three horses will probably be in the top five or six um odds you know favoritism and and you know, rocky world has got one dirt race and medina spirit keeps <laughs> running second and and hot rod charlie got beat by medina spirit last time they raced and so it's it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be interesting, but I really think, and, and we've talked like almost forty minutes about this, but I really think that it would be serving the the game better if Churchill adjusted the point system to get where to make it more um, likely that that guys would run a little bit more and reward guys that that have three and four race campaigns. Um, because they, they those those horses are better suited in most cases to be able to withstand the rigors of a mile and a quarter 20 horse race well it was like the uh, the old thing a couple of years back where in the NCAA tournament they were kind of evaluating teams on on their non-conference schedule and teams kind of shied away from playing cupcakes and they started playing pretty good teams. Yes, exactly. And the quality of the tournament ended up being better yes, because of it. Exactly. And, and some of the, the mid majors wound up getting more credit because Correct. they were willing because they beat some of them and they teams. were willing to go on the road and, and to play anybody anywhere. Um, and, and like you said, the, the big schools couldn't just load up on Cupcake City and say, "Oh well, we're in the ACC, so we don't have to play anybody else any good." And and, and it's true; it, it it's it probably would have worked a little bit better in the the college football playoffs if Alabama just didn't win every year. <laughs> if, if every year it wasn't Clemson, Alabama, every single year, and Notre Dame every year didn't, didn't uh, spit the bit. I mean, which you know, every year Oklahoma didn't give up like sixty-two points in the the semifinals. <laughs> I mean, you talk about consistency. College football literally is like there's like six teams that are going to have a chance to get in. Um, but no, I, I I just really say that not from the quality of the Derby fields type of thing because a lot of times, you know, the Derby trail is a little bit of a war of attrition as well. Um. Greatest honor didn't get hurt because he he danced a lot of dances. He got hurt because he got hurt. He was going to get hurt whether they had run him or whether they had not had run him. Um, it's just that's just the way it is. Horses don't just sit on the couch when they're not racing. They're they're going out there and training and then doing you know all these other things. So and, and you don't know when the horse got hurt. You don't know if he he might have had some minor little tweak that that no one could have picked up before the race. You don't know that. You don't know that. Especially when it's not a serious injury, um, it, it's just a, you know, a kind of a setback. And the fact of the matter is, horses that race more will be more likely to stay sound, as opposed to horses who don't. It's just common knowledge. I mean, that's that's been common knowledge with two-year-olds forever that the horses that got racing experience at two stay sounder at three and four and five. And the ones that don't get any racing experience at two um, don't stay as sound at, at, at that age. And there was a couple a couple years ago, um, Don Chatlow's this guy, Larry Best, had a horse. <laughs> that, uh, was it? Was it? 
Who was the horse that came out in the summertime at Hollendorf for training and just blew him out? Instagram, Instagram, right? Instagram. And he turned him out. And I, I, I was, was extremely critical because I said, this doesn't work. You cannot turn your horse out to prevent them from getting, it's not going to prevent them from getting hurt. It's going to cause them to get hurt. Two-year-olds should train, period. They need to build bone. They need to go around that racetrack and get stronger, physically stronger. That You can't do that in a field. You can't do that. It would be like taking a high school basketball team and telling them to take three months off and then when they come back, thinking they're going to be in shape and, and ready to go. They're not. Horses, they don't run around fields like training. It, it's not the same. And as it turns out, it, it absolutely um, backfired completely. And I remember Jimmy. Yeah, didn't he show up in the wood? He, he just was no good after that. And he might not have been any yeah. good anyways, but you can't like prevent your horse from developing. You can't prevent your horse from getting hurt. You can't. It's impossible. Horses are always going to get hurt because they have big bodies and they have little legs. It's just the way it is. Well, that's what that's the thing that that kind of makes me scratch my head is it seems pretty obvious to me and I don't I don't know training horses from anything, but it just seems a very counterintuitive for people to just, you know, take it easy on a horse when they're that young for the sake of not injuring them. The funny irony is that horses, when they're young, heal far quicker and are a far more um, uh, adaptable bone than they do when they get older. Just, it's just, that's a, that's not an opinion. That's a scientific fact, literally. Literally. Trust me, I I heard it. I wake up. But, uh, it, it, it's <laughs> one thing that that's really sucks about the game these days is everybody, the the people, the racing managers, the owners, the trainers, that they want to manipulate everything, and it's why the game sucks in a, a lot of ways, because everybody wants to go in the path of least resistance. Everybody wants to skip. Everybody wants to be undefeated. Being undefeated doesn't mean shit anymore. There's not a single horse undefeated that's worth a damn. The last horse was. Well, yeah, because they're like three three the, wins. The last horse that actually got a, 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 I mean, even Zenyatta. Like, Zenyatta was a great horse, but come on. It, it was Cupcake City. Nick Saban couldn't have baked more cupcakes than, than Zenyatta raced against. <laughs> she ran against historically bad crop of fillies for three years in California. And, and it, it aggravates me to no end still because I, I really would have loved to have seen that filly try the grass. I'd have loved to have seen her on an East Coast track at Belmont or on one turn. You know, there's so many things it could do, and eh, you need to keep her undefeated. Your horses are not that, you're just not as good as, as the old days. You're just not. The last horse who was undefeated in this country, the, the, the only one that I ever saw worth a damn was Personal Ensign. Okay? You're never going to be Personal Ensign. Because not only was she undefeated, uh, per- she, Ensign she, she ran. Like <laughs> nine or 10 of those wins were with. A dozen screws in her leg, but no, it's too much worry about all oh, my horse loss and the breeding value and value and value and value. Come on, man! Enough. <laughs>
Enough manipulating the game. Run your freaking horses and, and, and see how they run. And when they run good, we will give you every bit of praise in the world. But just winning a grade one, oh, he's stallion credential now. Your horse is going to be a bad stallion. I mean, I can say that to almost everyone that goes to stud every year. Your horse is going to be a bad stallion because the fact is 90% of the time, it's going to be true. It's going to be true. And the money, sure, people get involved in racing a lot of ways is, is a, a way to get into the breeding. Uh, a lot of big owners came in the game, owned a lot of horses. Uh, Satish Anand, Bob and Beverly Lewis, uh, Zaya to a lesser extent. And, and, and they, they went from the, the um, <clears throat> you know, from, from the buyer side to the supplier side. They went from buying a bunch of horses and racing to, to, to selling. And, you know, Bob and Beverly Lewis selling when they're in their 80s never made any sense to me. Because, like, you're in your 80s. Like, what are you going to do with money? You got plenty of money. Like, making <laughs> money? What are you going to do with it all? Like, I'd rather have the best horse. You know, bro, it was funny. We were talking the other day on Twitter, and someone said about, you know, who would you ride on your derby horse? And I said, I, I don't know. You asked the guy I sold him to. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, who you can you get derby fever? I'm like, bro, no chance. If I had an actual derby kind of horse, there's no chance that I would be able to survive the last three weeks because I would have a, a, a stroke every day going and taking those freaking banners off, knowing that something's going to go wrong. So I would do is sell the horse to someone else. Maybe keep two percent or something like that. <laughs> I would sell the horse, but I'm a I'm a broke person. I'm not uh, I'm not worth uh, <laughs> you know seventy trillion dollars. If I was worth three billion dollars, I would never sell the horse. I would keep the horse forever. I'd keep the horse in my backyard if I if I had to. Keep him in training. I, I would I would always keep the horse if I was someone who like that. I mean, the stallion stuff, the stallion stuff can come when it comes. I mean, Seattle Slough wasn't a, a, a great stallion because he was retired at the end of his three-year-old year. Right? I mean, it, it didn't skip the year. And he raced it forward. He, he did a lot. Became a great stallion anyways. Affirmed, same thing. He wasn't a bad stallion because he raced it forward. Way things were done back then. I mean, the economics of of bloodstock. I mean, bloodstock is the ultimate bubble game here because sure as is. racing <laughs> fades, bloodstock will have to fade. All right, there's no demand for that service. <laughs> I mean, it's no given that racing is not going to fade. I guess you could say it's not a given it would, but there's an awful lot of things that are lining up against us. And I think people in this business, especially this time of the year, when we, we can always just move our focus back to the derby, right? No matter how bad everything looks on the outside, we can just kind of ignore, uh, ignore all that. Um, <laughs> you know, and it was a really, it was a, it was a tough article written about the business and uh, the business of 
alternate sources of revenue, revenue that the, the states claim as their own, which I always had an issue with. I, I really, I really don't. The way politics, I mean, politicians, I, you, you've heard me before talk about politicians. For the most part, politicians are bad people. They're just bad people in these days. They're, they're just not. They Next. don't work for us anymore. They work for themselves. And, you know, to, to label everything taxpayers' money, I mean, essentially, any money you make in their eyes is taxpayers' money. And when they, um, when they, they charge you 21% or 2018%, whatever it is, percentage of, of your in- money in income tax, they, they act like they're giving you the, the other 80% for money that you've earned. <laughs> And it's the same thing with slots. And to me, it's always been, I've asked this question and people look at me and, and, and like, I'm dumb. And I say, well, I think you're dumb because you're not seeing this. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I go, well, aren't the tracks part of racing? Well, yeah. So, well, how come every time they come for our, our money, it's always from the purse account, but it's never from the tracks cut? Well, the track puts up money. Well, well, what? The track also gets, gets, five times much money as we do in a lot of cases. So why don't they ever come for the tracks money? Because they're in bed with them. The tracks only have, in, in most states, the tracks only have slots because they had racing. They only had slots because they had racing. And yet, that governor in, in Pennsylvania, the, the, the really incompetent guy, he, he, he wants to come oh, into the purse account. And I'm not saying the money's been used properly. I'm not saying it's been used wisely. I'm not saying that it, it, it's, you know, th- that the money hasn't really, I mean, listen, it, it's a given that it hasn't been used in the most efficient manner. Given. But why isn't Parks giving up their part of their cut? Parks is owned by a foreign company. Genting is, is a foreign company that runs Aqueduct, Malaysia. Why are they not asked to, to contribute? Why just the, the purse's money? Why, why just us? And, 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 and people seem to like, they, they get like all glossy-eyed when I talk about that. You know, like, well, you know, like they're a publicly traded company or they're this or that. <laughs> doesn't matter. Oh. The, 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 the reason oh. they have the, this... This benefit, this added revenue, is because of us. So why do we have to take the brunt of it? You know, they have better lobbyists. Probably, yeah. I would probably they they do. Do they spend more money? Uh, yeah, of course. You know, is life fair? No. But I don't see why the tracks can just put us out of business and, and go on and never have to give up anything. Why why don't they have to give up? a piece of their action. And why doesn't anyone ever ask that question? That's the, that's the thing is I've never seen anybody say, Hey, well, why don't, why don't the tracks contribute? Right. The tra- the tra- never seen it. Never. The tracks are going to, once the track has built their facility and yes, they might have some debt service and, and, and that, I mean, we all know that nobody, pays cash to do things. It's all borrowed money. But the tracks are making massive amounts of, of, of profits. Massive. Massive. And yet nobody ever, you know, people always say, well, racing and missed the boat. Racing did this. Racing did that. 
No, you're saying horsemen. You're saying horsemen did that. Because in a lot of states, the tracks have actively worked against horse racing. And uh, that, it just, to me, is a, it's a pet peeve. And, and there was things written in that article that were, you know, vastly exaggerated. But there was a lot of truth in it. A lot of truth. Um, and most people in racing don't even, like, doesn't phase them at all. Uh, like Kentucky, in Kentucky, it's happy days are here because they 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 warded off the uh, the um, the attempt to uh, to shut down their let's call them what they are slot machines, right? Instant so racing. Those sir. things, um, you know, they're, they're they survived the challenge. Money's flowing. Everything's great there. Uh, but sports betting's coming. And sports betting is going to be bad. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's like Jaws. <laughs> sports betting is like Jaws. Uh, Churchill Downs came out today with a. Um, it was kind of an interesting. <laughs> it, it, it was it was kind of an interesting um, take on on how they're going to approach the sports betting market. Essentially, saying like they're not going to put a lot of money into it, but they're going to do it, and. They're going to try to tie it into the Kentucky Derby, which, you know, is, is their biggest asset by a million lengths. I, I just don't know. I mean, Crunk looks at it and says they're going to use the Derby to bludgeon everyone when they expand into um, fixed odds wagering, which, which is probably he, – he's probably right about that. I don't know right. exactly yeah. when the fixed odds thing is going to come. And it just seems um, it's like the exchanges that New Jersey had, which seemed like such a great idea, except if they didn't price them properly, which they didn't. Uh, and, and then they, they didn't allow anyone else except for Jersey residents. So it, it was really a very, very narrow group of people that were allowed to participate. And then the price sucked anyways. And, where Crunk's basically said is a Jersey resident, he goes, I'm paying 12% and I'm betting against guys who are paying 5%. Like, you know, how long can you survive doing that? Um, which, is, which is, you know, truth. And I mean, I really like the betting exchanges. I, I would have loved to have uh, to mess around with them. And no, I, I probably wouldn't ultimately profit and, and uh, probably not disciplined enough, but I would love betting races or, or offering odds on horses I hated. Like favorites that I just hated, like, <laughs> you know, giving a price just to, you know, betting against basically, kind of, you know, shorting a stock, shorting a horse in a race. Um, a concert tour, I would have, I would have given three to five all day long, all day long. Three to five, I'd have given probably, probably given four to five all day long. But, um, but no, it's, it's, um, It's tough to, it's tough to get, I mean, this business is so, it's like herding cats. <sighs> it really is like herding cats. Well, there's so yeah, many there's moving so parts. pettiness as well. And that's part of the problem. There's a lot of pettiness. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of crime. Um, I mean, horsemen are just not equipped to, 
to deal with the modern racing business world. Um, they're still, they're just way behind. And it, it's and just the whole, the way this whole Lasix thing has been rolled out. You know, Chad Brown's horse in, in New York the other day, come back, big favorite, runs up the track, bled. Yep. Oh, analyze so Is this going to be like an every week thing now? And if some guy, of course, writes something ridiculous on Twitter, like, oh, well, you know, trainers know how to train them. And I was like, yeah, all right. I, I said to you, it'd be like okay. yeah, telling basketball coaches, yeah, you know, you should do, you should, you should coach your team not to pull hamstrings. Like, like that's possible. <laughs> but um, just the way it's been done is just so inept across the board. I'm telling you, a week before the first of the year, Nobody even seemed to know no, if three-year-olds were going to run on Lasix this year or not. We weren't even sure. Well, remember we, when we uh, went to the Pegasus, we weren't. We were like, well, are they running with it? Are they not running with it? Yeah. Some races had it. Some didn't. It was, it was a mess as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, just the way it's been rolled out. And it's not like we haven't known this is coming, right? Like, all these people that were so adamantly uh, against it. How come you people didn't come up with a cognizant plan that would make sense, that people would say, oh, okay, we understand, and, and, and you know, have, have a good explanation when horses start running up the track at three to five? That's why, like, I, I like to call it the, the Twitter mob mentality, where people will get behind something and have no clue as to why. It just sounded good. They have no research behind it, and they just jump on board. And, and that's that, that, what it that, feels like with this lace thing. That's exactly what we do. We right. determine who's right. a good guy and who's a bad guy. There's guys in this business. Okay, I know this business better than I know, um, you know, other businesses because I know the people. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And there's guys that are thought of as as complete douchebags that are actually okay. They're just kind of you know not social people or. Um, there's people that people think are okay that are complete douchebags. It's the, it's, it's the opposite. And of course, that's the way it is in, in life in general. But there are some trainers that mm-hmm. people would be like, oh my God, this guy, he would never cheat. And so they were talking about a guy one time, and oh, this guy, he would never do something wrong. I'm like, you're kidding. You're kidding. Like, okay. You're kidding. <laughs> well, well, you know, he's a nice guy. I go, <laughs> do you don't so? think that there's people out there that are like criminals and bank robbers that, that, you know, my, my, right. You know, they wear the right. the hamburger you, you mask. Think they, you, or something. you think they like they do cats stuff. and and they like beat kids like at fair time? <laughs> like, did you ever watch The King of New York, the movie The King of New York? Frank, oh, White, yeah. Frank, Frank White, White was the drug dealer who wanted to give back. <clears throat> he wanted to give back. He, he wanted to build a hospital. I mean, it's just it... or like the guy in Major League Two, Parkman. <laughs> Yeah, pardon. <laughs> That's what they think in their heads. Like he's just a classic villain, well, people, you know, with the people with the mustache. Put people and... white hats and black hats in this business uh, all the time. And Absolutely. some of the black hat guys deserve it. <laughs> they deserve it. And some of the white hat cat guys deserve it too. I mean, they're they're actually are good good people. I mean, it's not like everybody's full of shit, but um. It's just, uh, 
you know, people are real quick to condemn some people and then they're real um, quick. And, and I, I do it myself. I do it myself. Dude, that reminds me of a story about the time that um, Chad Brown sent me some stuff, a uh, hat and a mask. And there was one follower on Twitter that was so mad, so mad because he felt that Chad Brown wronged his employees and this, that, and the other called me a hypocrite because I don't like people and I'm not in favor of helping people because I like Chad Brown. I was like, man, you gotta be kidding me. Like there was no context to anything he was saying, but he was just so against Chad Brown. (laughs) It was so crazy. I was like, man, that's nuts. I was like, you don't even know the whole thing. You just, you know, you just want to paint him with that brush. Like, no, that's yeah, how, that's how this yeah, is gonna work. Deserves some of the painting. I mean, he he was he's better than he used to be, but you know, but yeah, it, I'm sure he's it, learned along the way. He, 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 he does things wrong. Exactly Everybody has always been, uh, um, you know, he's treated some people wrong, not just employees. I'm talking about you know people in racing offices and things like that. But you know, being rude doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're just rude. True. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. And um, like I said, I don't want to just like point fingers and say this guy's a good guy, this guy's a bad guy, because a lot of times people do things that that are are you know you don't know about. I don't know, but we don't know about. They do good things for people. Um, maybe they they help a lot of people, and then they just don't publicize it. And there's some people. You know, they literally take selfies of them helping people so that they can get everyone patting on the back. Right? Oof, that is the worst. That there's not much that makes that, me mad. That makes that, me that, mad. That's, that is society. People give me shit. Yep, about you're right. It's, and I said, you know what? The guy is a loose cannon, and you know he does say things sometimes that are a little off the wall, and he can come down. You know, be a little a little uh, brutish sometimes but the fact of the matter is that you know what i have no problem with him he's been fine with me and more well i'd rather him be himself i mean he's i think you know he's a guy that cares about the game and he's a guy that's trying to help the business and i would rather him be himself than be a phony whatever that is you know what I mean? I would rather him be himself. And, and people he, say, well, he does. You know, you that's who he is. shouldn't be associated with that guy. You shouldn't be associated with this guy. You shouldn't be associated with that guy. Let me tell you something. I got people in my life before. <laughs> um, you know, like, they're, they got way worse reputations than him. <laughs> and, you know, like, people, as they treat you. Treat people as you treat you. I mean, who are we to judge, right? I mean, who are we to judge? And people are judging all the time, and um, that's the one thing like those guys are doing. And they're, they're trying to get people to bet horse racing. The guys that the industry is looking for, like the specifically guys, the demographic. I mean, specifically, that the industry is dying to get. They have them following them because they know what they want. And they speak the same language, and they're telling them the things that they want to see and hear. And the racing establishment 
instead will hire guys who are suits and they'll do some stupid study and they'll take some stupid poll and they'll do some stupid nonsense. And, and you've seen how effective it is, right? None. Yeah. That's how we get those Pegasus videos. But I mean, you're right. I mean, it should, or the industry should take notice of that. And I know there's people that follow it because they're on Twitter. They see, um, you know, because you can, you know, you can get people to tone it down or, you know, there, there's, there's a medium there that the industry needs to tap into in order to move things ahead. Because, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier, you know, that demographic, I, I, I was saying 28 to 35, maybe 28 to 40. Those are the people that are coming into to money right now. Um, you know, that's just how, how life works. You know, you don't really make a whole lot of money when you're very young, like in your 20s, unless you inherit it or, you know, very fortunate. Um, But natural progression of things in this country and how people make money, they're making their money in that span of years. Those are the people that we need to come out to the track. Those are the people that we need as repeat customers, not just showing up on Derby Day, not just showing up on Preakness Day or Belmont Day. Those are the ones that need to play you know, uh, during the week, maybe once or twice, and then definitely on the weekends, every weekend. Those are the things that we need. If that demographic and those kinds of, you know, things can bring that into the game, why are we not all for it? You know, I know it's a little crass sometimes with some of the things that is said, but if you, if you wade through all that, and the basic premise is to get people involved in the game, in the sport and gambling on it. That should be above everything else. Mostly, you know, there's limits, but at the same time, the, the foundation is getting people involved and getting people playing on a regular basis. No doubt about it. People forget that the racing establishment were the same people who made the New York city and the New York OTBs trash. For years and years and years. They made the <laughs> trash intentionally. They discouraged people from, from going there. They didn't see it as the wave of the future. They didn't see the convenience that it was going to expand their markets, expand their reach. They, they did everything wrong. And the racing establishment has done virtually everything wrong in that regard for years and years and years. Uh, I, I know inside the pounds, we talked about him, you know, quite a bit. And he's a Twitter guy for people who don't know. And he's a, he's a super sharp, super sharp. And, and he's a gambler. This is what he does, right. and it drives him nuts. <clears throat> and and I can I can I can understand where he's coming from because some other things in this business drive me nuts because I know that we're doing it wrong. <laughs> I know that we could do it better. And unfortunately, I know some of the reasons why, and then it's just, it just is frustrating. Unfortunate. Um, the Lasix issue, for example, but it makes him nuts when he watches the people that we pay to educate our potential betting people, fans, whatever you want to call them. When they make plays that make no sense. And this is a mathematical equation. 
So you can't really argue with it. And people will still try to argue with it. But you can't make these plays because you're going to break your customers. You're going to lose. And let's understand that we're not saying that if you teach everyone properly that uh, 70% of your customers will win. It's not going to happen. It's paramutual wagering. You know, you have no. winners, you have losers. The difference is that so many guys are, are, are willing to lose money overall as long as they have an opportunity to make big scores. <laughs> uh, and that might sound kind of stupid, but it's not that they just don't want to lose all the time. They don't want to never win because that's no fun. I mean, it, it's just it's it's just no fun to go to the races and just always lose. Um, and when you teach people to bet into pools with big tickets and bunch of short field, you know, odds on horses, <laughs> where they're betting. You know, seventy dollar tickets, and the likely payoff is 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 is, is in the two hundred range. <laughs> like you're taking a pick four, maybe, and making it into a, a, a three to five shot. So, like, I get it what he says, and, and it's so true. And, and it's the same shitty formula that we've been, been working on forever. Fact is that we shouldn't give any tickets, and that's why, like, even when we do the preview shows. Like we we will handicap the races, but I, I don't think that without without it being specifically geared towards people that are interested in, in ticket construction, I don't see how Simon Bray or, or or one of those other guys. No offense to Simon, I mean Simon's my friend and all, but what why why we should have those guys? Simon is, is you know his experiences with the horses. The horse end, the trainer end, the connections end. That's his expertise. So let, let's let him do that. Let's not make him put in these stupid tickets that, that don't make any sense because the producers think that, hey, you know, we got to trick people into betting. It's like. It's a tough call um, because I understand why they do it. I mean, after all, they are an ADW. If you have a race and you tell people this is, these are the <clears> options <throat> available, they'll figure it out. And if they're too stupid to figure out, like, how to put a ticket in, like, I, I never in my whole life, and, and maybe this is just me, because, and, and I was around it since I was young, but I never looked at other people's tickets and said, oh, I'm, I'm going to play it. Like, I'm going to do that. Ne- yeah. Never, never, <laughs> I've never, never, done never. I mean, you and I could talk about a race, okay? Um. I like this source. You like this source. You tell me your reasons. I tell you my reasons. And we can pick up something from each other. You know, maybe you have an angle on the race that I hadn't seen. And, and uh, you know, you, you open my eyes and say, you know, I better use that horse. That horse has got a, a, a decent chance. You know, I shouldn't single. I should do this. That's, that's one thing. But to just give tickets. And it's not, not like they give tickets that they actually want to play. Um. You know they're 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 limiting them to a yeah I've, I've heard them a lot of can't be this can't be that right well how is that it just make it just is silly 
I don't know a single person. I've never heard a single person well, say, that, that's oh, I one played the TVG guy's ticket, and, 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 and I, I did. Yeah, I don't know anybody that's done that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the thing that they're missing the boat on is actually having a so-called wagering expert. You know, you know, and I and I think it's fun to see those those the the on air talent do that, but I mean anyone that's watched and played horses for a number of years know they're not really experts. I guess Matt Carruthers is probably the closest thing they have to that, and even even uh, Kate and Bradner, she she's she's a pretty good handicapper. She she constructs tickets okay, um, but they need a bona fide you know just somebody that talks the nitty gritty and they don't really do that um very often and, and, that, and that's um, me that Carruthers that, does it you know that's a failure but... because there's so many types of media available this yes now and they're a big company they're owned by an ADW they're there they have plenty of money like come up with a guy or a guys or, or women or whoever and yeah, have whoever. them um as a sidebar I mean, the racing should be covered as racing should be covered. Essentially, uh, give us information, give us track conditions, give us this, give us that. Having non-experts. I don't mind those guys. I don't mind them giving picks either. That, that doesn't you I know, would like them bother me. You know, like because it's, it's part of the game. If they didn't have to pick a horse every race. Listen, when I do the HRN show with Bobby Newman, right? True. Mike Penna is, is a good friend of mine for a long time, and this is his format. And every race, he wants to pick a horse. Well, it's kind of like a, you know, pick a horse and handicap the race, talk a little bit about it. And it's kind of a recap show more than anything, and, and you can hear the call of the race. And often, I'm picking races that I would never, ever, 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 ever bet. Uh, there was an Arkansas Maiden 10 in particular in the last show. <laughs> It was one of the worst races, in, you know, imaginable. And I mean, I literally couldn't come up with a single reason to bet a single horse in there. Like not even a sliver of something, not even like one workout that might've been okay. Not one race that might've been a little bit better. I mean, it was literally, I would never, ever, ever bet that race. And I understand in that situation, like no one's listening and saying, oh, I want to see who Chuck's bet. And I'm going to bet who Chuck's bet. It's just the way they do it. You know, they make a they make a bet, and it's kind of like a fun thing, you know? See who wins, see who at the end of the show, who's got the most winners, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. That, that, that's that's this. But I would much rather have TVG people that are knowledgeable. And I'm not, I don't mean to just pick, to pick on TVG, but the fact that I don't watch the other show, um, because I, I oh, mostly I, I get all, the track man. feeds, and... You know, I'm in internet hell here. So, uh, we don't even get Fox <laughs> or FS2 on our on our cable. So, like, but I, I would rather hear a guy tout a horse if he didn't have to tout a horse every race. And that doesn't mean he should say, I, I don't like this race, pass, don't bet it. I would just, you, you could you know, have a couple races a day where, where you had um, strong feelings and, and, and impress your luck because that's how a winning player is going to play. And in the end, a guy that isn't, that, that loses, 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 
he's not going to be a customer of that ADW very long. And I think that is what ITP tries to, to pound into people's heads, that if they just lose, 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 they will find something else to do. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's funny because there's times, you know, I've, I've found myself on Twitter trying to explain some of the stuff to people that no. just don't get it. That won't, you know, bend, break, you know, see it from a different way, which is fine. You know, if they want to keep playing the, that way and losing, we'll see where we're at well, at the end of the year. Know, the, the people, there's but, always a debate about whether you know, it's all and, you know, ticket construction and that. The, the fact of the matter I'm is I'm against all. It, it doesn't matter what anyone else <laughs> picks. In some cases... Like, True. Like me, I never put tickets out there. I hardly even say I like horses. It, it just isn't, you know, like I bet if I win, I win. I lose, I lose. I don't like say it. Believe me, it's not because I'm winning so much that I don't want people calling me up to borrow money or something. But it's 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 mostly because I don't really <laughs> like that many horses. Like I don't see that many opportunities to bet. And one of the things that that's really bothers me is that we have such crappy cards so often these days that the opportunity to bet overlays just doesn't exist because um, the races are just so bad. People are on to them. Yeah, anybody that would have been an overlay 10 years ago is you're getting 2-1 on now. Against this big favorite still win too often it seems. And maybe this is just uh, my own personal bias but um, but it, it's it's difficult. It, it's more difficult, I believe, these days to find bettable races than it, than it was at one point. And, and not that at any time you you know it's a great idea. Like you know, back in the day at Saratoga, they had nine races and they had big fields. Well, every race wasn't a great race to bet on. I mean, there was some tough races as well no. back then. It wasn't any any you know like every race made sense and you got 10 to one on your horses that should have been three to one. But, uh, yeah. I remember when yeah. the, the triple well, was only in the last double, race. Double fourth race, uh, was the Quinella. Uh, yeah, the triple was Quinella, the last the race. Cube. Yeah, that was, was, and my grandfather was, used to, was no such thing as a pick, wait pick, for the pick, last pick race, five, pick six, no such thing as a super no. factor. No such thing as, as, Shit, a lot of things. He, he would wait, play the late double yeah. and the triple. And now, like Goldstream, I think he would just sit there. And it's hard to criticize Goldstream's betting menu, and I'm sure that the experts will find a reason why. Um, but it just seems like they offer too many bets now. Like, like, well, it's like <laughs> the super high five. Like, Right, the rolling, the super, rolling high super high fives. Quinella. Why are we? Why, why, why? The, the Quinella. I don't think I've ever played the super like high five. Two thousand dollars a race, and, and races they're handling nine hundred thousand for the race that handle like two thousand um, dollars. You know, and they have rolling doubles, pick threes, and then a pick four, and then a pick five. And it just seems like there's, there's. Wasn't it uh, Prescott Isle that was doing rolling pick fours at I don't one know, point? I can't. I can't. I think I think I think I've bet. I'm pretty sure they were maybe ten times, maybe ten they're, races. They're doing rolling pick fours. I, I might have bet ten races in my life at Presco. You know why I ended up 
betting on yeah, those because it is because highlight. it was between yeah. the nighttime yeah. and the daytime cards. And it was like the uh, only thing that was going before like Meadowlands started. The, they, had that, they, had that, they had that Twilight card. <laughs> talk about an, right. Talk about another it's in the middle of every Pocono. That's like Hoosiers banned for life. Like because of the passing lane, Pocono's banned for life because I never win there. I had a Breeders' Counter race there. Last time I had a Breeders' Counter, I, I hit a really nice number, but it was like fluky and, you know. Some tracks you just can't do well at, you know? Like, I, I just never really did very well at synthetics. Um, I had a hard time figuring them out. The one thing, that, like, I learned when I was, uh, you, know, you know, before the game was quite as sophisticated as it is now, and, you know, used to read the Buyer books and, and the Mark Kramer books and um, you know, just just come the form cycle, but you know the first thing I'd always kind of try to look for every day was as if there was some kind of you know, bias. How was the track playing? Was it playing fair? Was it speed favoring? Was it not speed favoring? And of course, you couldn't tell that until it was a couple of races run. But and that was also when when they didn't quite have as many turf races as they do now. Um, but uh. It, it seemed like the 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 poly track, and maybe someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like it was harder to figure out what biases were. Like it seemed like at Keeneland, speed would never win for a while. Like it was just like totally like, no matter how slow you went in the lead, you, you couldn't win. Um, it just made it more difficult to me that that you couldn't identify like what horses would be would be getting. I hit one winner like that. I hit one winner and it was at Woodbine and it was because it rained right before the race went off. It was the Queens plate. I forget what year it was. It was midnight aria. I'll never forget it. And I was like, you know what? This horse is going to go to the lead and, and, and wire this field because I had heard that when it rains, right, the, right. the track kind of tightened up and you couldn't pass. And sure as shit, the, the horse went to the lead and, and never was in doubt. Um... That's like the only time I, when I, I've when I ever first caught anything like that. <laughs> the schedule was that they race on the turf on Wednesdays and Thursdays with the rails up. There was no turf racing on Fridays. And then Saturdays and Sundays, they would race with the rails right. down. And at the time, Churchill Downs played completely different depending on if the rails were up or the rails were down. When the rails were down, it was so hard to win on the lead. It was so hard. And when the rails were up, it was a, about half the races, it seemed like, were one on the lead or right close to the lead. It was so hard to close. And I remember, like, doing handicapping and figuring out which days were were uh, weekends and, and which days were, were weekdays. And, and back then, you could still, you could still make scores because – Guys would be betting horses that had looked really good on the lead on a, on a Saturday, and when you knew that that um, was was not going to be an advantage at all, it was going to be probably a disadvantage. But um, it it just seems. Uh, I mean, obviously that that's all changed now too, and and I think turf getting rid of the turf. Work, yeah, all the video work <laughs> after the Derby week. I think they're going to like put a new turf course in there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they really? kind of wrecked it last fall, but um, 
Yeah, that that was always the thing. It's like we talked about a couple times. It's always weird at Gulfstream that that there's literally two turf courses, but no one ever talks about it. I really find that fascinating that no one ever says, like. Oh, and they complain. It's not like they don't complain. If nobody was complaining, then I'd be like, all right, whatever. They just don't care. But people complain yeah. constantly. I know. It's, it's about just everything very, very else. Odd that, that, that has not <laughs> been, been, been really kind of talked about. Remember, Arlington used to announce the lanes. They would, they had the, the million lanes. The one lane they would never use until the Arlington million you know, the, the, like the day before in your own million day. They would keep that like pristine as they could. But uh, yeah, it's very odd that that, that was never, no one ever says, you know, they don't make a difference. They don't say if it's, if it was the inner turf, it goes from the outer turf. <clears throat> well, that's just like the, the curious decision to, to get rid of the inner dirt at Aqueduct. I, I, I still don't understand no that one. Wanted to add another turf course. <laughs> well, if I'm in his shoes, I would probably want that too. But that doesn't mean I would get it. Yeah, the inner the inner kind of got a bad rap. Sure did. I mean it. it I mean, you know, actually, uh, Craig Mikowski said something about that. He's like, well, I don't know if you know this horrifically slow track is due to not having an inner track and the winterized quote unquote track that they had I don't on the ever inner. remember the inner track being slow as the, the track has been this year no that that's what he was saying and I, I'm, I'm with him I don't remember it being that they slow. had the breakdown issue of course but I don't know it's it's uh, it's awful slow. I mean, that's a lot of money just to so it's awful slow. Do that. I listen. The truth is that uh, five years down the road, we're probably looking at a world without Aqueduct in it, anyways. Oh, don't say that. Sorry. I mean, we're already kind of marginalized so much that it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if if the next step wasn't to um, you know, semi-winterize Belmont in some way, shape, or form, and and and, and race. Put lights in. What? Are they doing that? Is that still a thing? Who knows? The lights at Belmont? I hope so. Night racing at Belmont would be fantastic. Oh, man. It's just so huge. That, that's, it's like, that's how, how would they do that? Most tracks that have night racing are relatively narrow tracks. Belmont is gigantic. Smaller. I mean, it's such a huge track. And... um the inner turf versus like the outer rail on the dirt is a long ways away. <laughs> you know, it's a good distance between the two. So way, I don't exactly know. I mean, I way know. out I mean, there. We've heard so many crazy things at, at Act about New York. That Yonkers was going to relocate to the training track or inside the training track, and then they were going to run. Or then I heard they were going to run the meet. On the training track, and Aqueduct Meet was going to run there, and they're going to build like a little grandstand in the middle. Or I don't know. Who knows? It's 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 so hard to it's so hard to really know because anything that you do in New York is going to cost a tremendous amount of money, um, and, and you also have these these questions of um, 
you know, who actually owns Naira. I mean, the, the state's got deeds, and uh, I, I guess state. everything that they do is from a capital improvements area would be would be a little bit complicated. And, I don't know. It's hard to say. As long as they keep grinding out those Saratoga sunrises. I think good. it's funny. That people are so worried in, in April about Saratoga. <laughs> uh, oh, man, like, I, I've seen sign. it all week. It's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. There's no telling what that they'll do in New York with that governor. It seems like his, his scandals have quieted down a little bit lately. Um, I mean, they do things so, much, so difficult there in that they use the governor's plans for sports betting, even though no one else wanted to do it, even though it doesn't seem to make the most sense. And Naira thinks that they're in the, the, the head, the senator that's ahead of the whole thing says, no, you're not. And it's just like <laughs> massive confusion as usual. Um, it's just very, very difficult to, to, under, to guess what, you know, you have an embattled governor who's got his own worries and, um, you know, that you see some states like Michigan have all kinds of COVID issues and then Oof. like everywhere else is like opening up and even California, you know, even the communists out there have, have decided to open up the, the you know, <laughs> so, to let people go to racetracks and stuff. Can you imagine? So it's, it's just hard to like handicap what, what's going to happen. And I'm sure someone will be, people will be allowed at Saratoga. Right. I mean, it's a it's a big facility, and uh, someone was like, "Well, the picnic areas." I said, "Well, they can just, you know, corn it off and then say, right, right, exactly. or take away some tables, or you know, it doesn't have to be the same or limit the amount of people that are allowed to go in a certain area. I mean, it can be done. I mean, we saw at Gulfstream, you can take, yeah, yeah." They sectioned it off and, well, and they, they had security and was tight. You know, Gulfstream is, you, could be, you could put the whole Gulfstream grandstand in, in the Saratoga backyard and have 10 acres to go, you know? So there's there's a tremendous amount of room in Saratoga, which is one of the things that, uh, you know, really is a benefit to them. And, and it's just so wide, you know, so big and widespread. So, um yeah, I wish they would make a decision because uh, my plan was to visit for the first time since 2009. Don't call it a comeback. You think yeah, people are going to mistake you for Deirdre Spears? They could. Yeah, you you got the same haircut. Much. No, he, he's got me beat there. Unless I'm walking around with a thing of a fifth of fireball. Just don't then let that guy borrow your shirt, man. Go. <laughs> I'll bring him one Honestly, just so that, we can have that, one to give away. Selling my shirt for a hundred dollars with some random guy at the beach, by the way. That that is. I want to know like who has the, it. That's we need to track that dude down. It's it it deserves an award of some sort. 
We got to find the guy that has it. You know, he didn't even try to like like cut me in for a piece. No, there was there was no. Yeah, he already made that decision. That money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's like yo. He might have been buying. He might have been buying for me with the hundred dollars from my shirt. It's amazing. It really is. So Who walks would up to a buy, would you buy the, the shirt buy back? Shirt for a hundred dollars. Oh man, I wish I was there to, to understand this. Okay, so I think I paid like forty bucks. For it was a nice shirt. And I, and I buy nothing that's not on. It was sale. it was nice. Like clothing wise. <laughs> And it was big and tall. You know, you can't. Yes, it's hard to come by the big true. and tall stuff. They really hammer us on that stuff. It's really unfair, bro. It's really unfair. But uh, you know, no one cares about big people. Yeah. Get up, stand up for your rights. <laughs> well, I got McPeak on the show tomorrow. Good dude. I'm gonna grill him. He does. Yeah, but he talks, so That's you know he's not gonna. One, he's one not thing, gonna. One thing about having, there's some people like you. You bring them, you know, you have them on, and and um, you kind of gotta like prod them to talk. To t- <laughs> you know, you get a lot of one word answers, like uh, you know, how's your horse looking? <laughs> Good. Uh, what race are you pointing for? <laughs> not sure. <laughs> That's why I don't have trainers on very often because a lot of times you have a hard time getting them to talk. But but McPeak will talk for sure. Uh, and and honestly, I, I think this is kind of an underplayed story that Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Girl is is really a a huge matchup. Um, you literally have the best two fillies racing against each other in a non Breeders Cup race, and that almost never happens. And uh, I, I mean. I was totally willing to discount Swiss Skydivers race in the Breeders' Cup because I, I believe, as I told you back then, that I really think that her campaign is going to catch up to her, and I think this is the race it does. And then she went and stumbled anyways. Uh, and, and I'm willing to totally throw that out because this is going to be a totally different scenario as well, is that I, I don't know how many horses they're going to be able to round up um, to fill out the field. If I had one, I'd be in there. I'd be trying to I'd be trying to run third or fourth, um, but I don't know exactly what the feel. I think Latrushka is is, is go. And she she might go to the lead. Yeah, I saw that Latrushka's gonna. She, she might she would and probably Byron, go to the front. That's what I so want to see. That would be. Uh, I mean, her best chance of. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if she has the best chance winning. Period. But um, I don't know who else is gonna run, and it would be a little. It'd be a little odd at three horse race. race. Kind of almost like a match race. But I I really think it's an underplayed story because it's just, uh, I mean, those two, I mean, who's who's the third? Never happens anymore. Like, right? It's a big gap. It's a big gap. So (laughs) you have the two best horses in the country in their division squaring off. And the older horse division this year is not exactly stellar. So the fact is that these two could be considered, um, you know, to be potential horses that, that this summer do run against the Colts. And 
the one thing about Monomoy Girl is she's been sold, right? She's already sold at, at auction. So, you know, the, the current owners who, who have, you know, mega bucks, um, they can take shots. You're, you're not going to devalue her anymore because she's not going to be sold again. So whatever racing that she does, whatever happens, it, it doesn't really matter to them. They, she, her, her value is already set in stone. And, and if they race against the Colts and, and she doesn't win or she doesn't hit the board or whatever, um, then, you know, no big deal. And if she wins, huh, then they all look, everybody looks smart. So uh, it's really a great race. And, and even, you know, just, just getting those two in the starting gate against each other and, um, I'll give McPeak credit and he, he could have found a lot of softer spots and a lot of pretty much anywhere else he went would have been a softer spot. But, um, and I give Brad Cox and, and company credit for, for staying in there and saying, you know what, this is the race we pointed for and this is the race we're going to go in and, you know, let it, let the chips fall where they may. When's the last time Derby winners faced Seems off? Like Ferdinand and Ali Shiva. When's the last Derby winner that, that ran, ran after ran at four. Derby or after the Triple Crown? Yeah. American Pharaoh. <clears throat> um, Always Dreaming didn't do much. Nyquist didn't do much. Mm, Authentic no. ran. Um, well, his the, the, the Derby winner prior year, he never... Uh, country house who was kind of the fake derby but he never ran again he never ran again um, right so yeah i mean uh justify he never ran again after the triple crown orb never beat anybody again <laughs> <laughs> oh normandy invasion hurts still so ludicrous but um yeah, like it's been a while. It's been a long time. <laughs> Maybe it is Ferdinand and Ali Sheba. <laughs> they might have been the last two Derby winners to race against each other. Oh God, that's crazy. Oh, that's a great question, actually. No, I'm right ra- now. Now I'm racking my brain trying to think of hmm. who won the Derbies. I know. I'm trying to think. <laughs> it just goes to show you, getting old sucks, man. I used to be able to have like, swear, like almost photographic memory. I could just like roll my eyes back in my head and I could list off one after another, after another, after another, after another. California Chrome. No. You know, we went through a period of time where the Derby winners weren't that good of horses in the, you know, in the grand scheme. Like we had quite a few horses who won the Derby who, who just, you know, they were the best that day. Giacomo, mind that bird. Went on and, and, and did a whole lot after that. Yeah, Super Saver. Super Saver. Didn't run much, right? <laughs> did he run after the Derby? I don't even think he ran after the Derby. They, maybe he ran on like the Preakness and got beaten. Um, I, I don't really... Why do I want to think it was always dreaming well, that ran against Saratoga? Did he run? No. Well, um, I could. Always dreaming would have had to run against Nyquist. 
because he was he was no the five was the year after him, Nyquist was the year yeah. before him. Right. American Pharaoh was the year before him. Before him mm-hmm. was California Chrome, before him was Orb, with before him was Al Hub another who again didn't make it through the triple crown. Uh Animal Kingdom. Didn't make it. He didn't race against any of the Derby winners. Um but he had a good race against. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he went out. He won a Dubai World Cup. I mean, he's a horse, but uh, I don't think he ran. But they they Before ran that, a ghost on the turf. Saver, mind that Point bird, Big Brown, Street Sense, Barbaro obviously didn't run. Um, Giacomo, Smarty Jones, who didn't make it as the Triple Crown. Funny side, but uh, the year the year before him was War Emblem. The year before him was Monarchos, and they both retired early. Upeg, he retired early. Charismatic, obviously, oh, didn't. Uh, Real Quiet, didn't. Silver Charm. Uh, did Silver, no, Silver Charm and, and, and Real Quiet never ran against each other. Um, Grindstone, no. he retired after the Derby. The Thunder Gulf and Gin ever ran against each other? Huh. I don't think well, so. Well, Gopher Gin boated it really. That's crazy. Over. I remember that. Sea uh, Hero, he didn't really do much after his derby. Lily T, strike the gold. Yeah, you know what? It, it was it was Ali Sheba Ferdinand. Yeah, it probably Ali was. You Sheba probably nailed it. Because I was unbridled. <laughs> Sunday Silence never raced against unbridled. Never raced against Winning Colors. Winning Colors never raced against Ali Sheba. Yeah, it was Ferdinand and Ali Sheba. Even before that, spend the buck. He didn't last much past uh, the the. the, the uh, Triple Crown, the Triple Crown, a couple Jersey of Jersey races. Swell died after the Belmont. Sonny's Halo, Sonny's Halo, and Gato del Sol might have raced against each other, but neither of them were really all that successful after the Derby. And then we're getting back to the, you know, before my time, the Pleasant Colony, genuine risk, spectacular bid. Right. Was spectacular bid race early seventies, and got beat. The firm beat him as a uh, as a four year old. That is, uh, and and before that, a Seattle Slough raced against Affirmed. So Affirmed actually right. I was going to say Seattle Slough and Affirmed. And then even before that, Bull Forbes, Foolish Pleasure, Cannonade, Secretariat, Reaver Ridge. The Reaver Ridge and Secretariat raced against raced coupled. As a four year old, I know. I know uh, Reaver Ridge was a four year old, and Secretary was a three year old. And I think they raced in the Marlboro Cup. So I think the first year of the Marlboro Cup, I believe they raced against each other. I, I kind of remember seeing a, a program where they were one and one A, and, and it was only like a five horse field. Yeah, so so really affirmed would be the the one horse who, if you're looking for stupid trivia, affirmed raced against two Kentucky Derby winners. It's amazing. It was a shame, swell. I always wonder how good that horse could have been because he, he, oh, like, he looked like he was just starting to get good. Yeah, he was just right. He was just get getting good. He's really too bad. His Belmont was one of the best races I, I'd seen. That was one of the up greatest until that days point. I ever had in my whole life. I was at that Belmont. We paid five bucks to get it. Really? Five bucks. No oh, man. Yeah, I saw a Rolls Royce crash in the valet. Yeah. Yeah, oh, oh my gosh. In a car accident. Um and, and and we just did great 
that day. My, my friend Spinelli, my friend Larry, my dad and I went to, uh, went to Belmont that day. And we just crushed it, man. We had, like, it was one of those days where everything you handicapped won. And it just was, it was just, not, it was just one of those days. Believe me, if they had pick fours and pick fives that day, we, we don't want, God knows how much we would have made. Yeah. And then we went to the Meadowlands to see how hot we really were. Oh, boy. Nah, we got, we got. Stayed hot. <laughs> Yeah, we, we were there for, <laughs> on the for third us. floor. That's when the Meadowlands was was the Meadowlands, man. Forget. I remember when they when they started doing like uh, overseas, like Hong Kong races, and people were there at like two, three in the I morning. I remember the first just hanging out. Was it? I think Rich Eng was telling me the story. He was working at the Meadowlands at the time, and they kind of did it as a lark, and there was a lot of people, a lot of Chinese people. Who live in Manhattan and, and you know there's a lot of Chinese stores and restaurants and stuff and you know Chinatown and um, they you know, did a little advertising that they were going to have races from Hong Kong and of course like you said it was like in the middle of the night like, like one two o'clock in the morning and they printed like 200 programs they said they had like 10,000 people showed up it was like it oh my like, god so of course and that was when ten thousand would show up every saturday night too but it was like they, they literally had no idea what to expect and, and they didn't think that, you know they thought they'd get a couple hundred people and they said that people just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and and it was just like the craziest thing it was the craziest thing but i, I remember the metalists they used to run for huge money they ran for more money in the early 80s than they do now the opens used to run for fifty thousand, and you had to be like, like you know, <laughs> Grand Circuit caliber horse. You had John Campbell and and and, and Jackie Moe and Bill O'Donnell and Mike Lachance, and it was just like, it, it was like Hall of Fame day. It was it was crazy. I was there the Hamlet year they won the Hamiltonian. It was a Duenna was the name the Philly who won the Hamiltonian. And Cam Fella was on was on like a twenty seven race. Cam Fella, I've heard that name a long time. And he was going to lose that day, and I can't remember the horse who um, who passed, who who was looked like he was going by and he broke pace. But I remember we were sitting on oh. the on the apron, and it was my my mom and my my dad dragged my mom down, and it was me and my brothers, and I think we were on vacation <laughs> and. Uh, because we used to go to Long Beach Island in Jersey on vacation. Every year we'd go there for a week. And every year we'd, we'd, we'd sneak down to Atlantic City if they were open. And we'd always, we'd always go to Monmouth. But, um, <laughs> yeah, remember this one year we went to the Meadowlands, the Hamiltonian, and there were so many people. I mean, it was crazy. It was like, like I, I want to say like 25,000, 30,000 people there. It was, it was just crazy. But, uh, you know, the good old days. When racing used to get real crowds. We talk about crowds now. Now we, we, we talk about, you know, 20% capacity. Back then, 20% capacity. <laughs> it would be, be 5,000 people. <laughs> now 20% capacity is 700. Yeah. 
I, I did, you know, I, I on the Going of Circles Digest I put out today, I had seen a video the other day, and it was, like, so awesome. It was the 1978 uh, coverage of the Kentucky Derby Wide World of Sports coverage. And, and, and Jim McKay, it was Jim McKay, extremely huh? clear. The audio was perfect. And it was spliced where they cut out all, like, the annoying parts and the commercials. And it, it was so good. If you get a chance um, to look at that, Going in Circles Digest, check it out. You can, you can find it at Twitter. You can find it um, on um, uh, Facebook on our page or our group. Send us a, send me an email to going in circles podcast at gmail.com and I'll send you a link. But that video is 22 minutes, man. It is unbelievably good. The way they covered races back then was just, I, I know it's a different world we live in now, but there was just something about it. And maybe it's just because of the reminiscing part, but there was something about Jim McKay that just made everything seem important. And and Howard Cosell does the greatest... Who? No, Frank no, Wright Frank on Red there, too? On. Um, Frank Wright mostly did CBS. This was the Wide World of Sports, which was ABC. And Howard Cosell was Howard Cosell, um, Jim McKay, of course, and, and Eddie R. Carroll. And the bluntness in which they just talked about the horses was like, was just so, it was great. Like the greatest <laughs> thing I'm telling you, if you watch it just to listen to Howard Cosell <laughs> introduce the field in the post parade, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, <laughs> he's, he's got that, <laughs> that, that caustic type of, you know, like dismissive tone and, there was it was funny because that year you had four or five really good horses uh, and then you had four like 100 to one shots it was it was very odd you had firm you had Alidar you had a horse named believe it it was Woody Stevens um, that turned out to be a pretty good horse I think he went to Met mile um, there was Darby Creek Road who uh, interestingly enough in the show they they talk they tout his his, his distance pedigree, and, and I think he, he wound up being champion sprinter, uh, and the and the Chiefs horse uh, sensitive Prince, who at the time was undefeated, going into the Derby, who, who wound up as the pace horse, and he didn't survive uh, affirmed, but um, they did interviews with Laz Barrera, with Woody Stevens, with John Veach. Uh, John Veach was young man, um, and uh, oh, and man, the Chief they did, they did interview with the Chief. Um, Eddie Arcaro was, was, was very, very blunt in his assessment of the field. I mean, they were just saying, you know, I don't like these horses. That horse is, that horse is really never, he's never shown me anything or this horse hasn't done, you know, he hasn't run a good race in four months. You know, you can throw him out and just, uh, uh, it, it was just the matter of fact way that they, they did it, you know, it was. Uh, I'm telling you, it's 22 minutes. You gotta watch. I, I just was like, sometimes you go back and, and you see some of those um, those YouTube videos of old races, and the quality's not great, or sounds not great, or uh, it just sometimes uh, 
they talk about, you know, sponsor nonsense and, and it gets a little old, but this was really, really well done. And of course it was a, you know, classic race affirmed, um, affirmed wonder. It was funny because we think about affirmed Alida, right. And you think, um, you think the Belmont, that's the kind of the race that always comes to mind. We think for him out. He won the like one almost two lengths. Yeah, he, he really correct. won easy. Um, yeah. I guess Velasquez, George Velasquez probably was, at the time, was criticized for being a little bit too far behind with Aladar. Yeah, he, he gave him a lot to do, but uh, but he won He won the race easy. But it, it was it was really a great video, <laughs> believe me. It's uh it was, it was really good. I mean, I sat there and watched the whole thing. And the, Howard Cosell in the post parade is awesome. He really <laughs> he's he's good. He's he's very good. You know, Howard Cosell loved horse racing. When I was oh, a yeah, kid, I was probably fifteen or sixteen. He was the headline speaker at the New York Breeders Awards dinner. In New York and uh, in, oh, wow. in, in Albany, and, and uh, I remember my dad got a ticket because he worked for the Farm Bureau, and they they did a lot of uh, stuff with the New York breeders, and and I remember he he gave uh, he, he gave a great speech. I mean, it was it was, it was because he kind of had a, a reputation as, as kind of like being a douche, and he might have been a douche, but. <laughs> he was just tell. He told stories, and and it, it was really, really, really good. He told a couple stories about him and Ali, uh, you know, because he was close with Muhammad Ali, and uh, it, it was it was really, really good. It was uh, he was he was a good speaker, but he he was really into horse racing. And... Yeah, he was in, a classic in a way that horse uh, racing you know, guy. the top yeah. sports announcers these days just aren't. Uh, and then, like I said, Jim McKay was just, uh, there's something about that guy's voice, man. He, yeah, it was perfect. for and Jim it McKay was, just, was doing an event at Maverick, you know? It's like Doc Emmerich in, in hockey. Like, if you turned it on and, and he was doing, he was calling the, the, the game, then you knew the game mattered, you know? It, it meant something. You know, Vince Scully doing a baseball game. It's amazing. Vince Scully's still alive. Yeah, Vince Scully on Twitter, no less, in the forties. Like he saw Babe Ruth. It's crazy. Yeah, my dad's a huge Dodgers fan, so I've gotten my fill of Vince Scully once in a while. No, but Jim McKay was so (laughs) good. He, He was just the perfect host. He he really you know huge racing guy you know, from Maryland and he he owned horses he bred horses and I know they had a stake named after him for a while I I don't know if they still do or not yeah yeah it was on Maryland Million Day yeah. right it wasn't the McKay yeah. Memorial he, he was something like that he was really great of course you know he used to do Wide World of Sports and and the the Olympics of course you know famous famous uh, not, not role but. I mean, his probably his most famous uh, event he ever covered was was the '72 Olympics when uh, the terrorists, you know, killed the Israeli. Oh athletes. yeah, the hyd- um, You know, it was it was before, you know far before my time. Well, I, I've seen it on video. I've, there's been a number of documentaries done on it, but uh, 
No, he was uh, he was really good, Jim McKay. He was he was just the perfect host. He had the perfect temperament. He and he knew racing. You know, it wasn't like a guy that sometimes um, when racing is, is on the big days, you feel like um, uh, when they have like uh, let's say a Mike Tarico or one of these guys, you know, doing it. They, they don't know anything about racing. You know, <laughs> I mean, they kind of fake it a little bit. But but McKay, he, he knew as much about racing as anybody. So. It was a really, really good video. It was, it was really cool to uh, to watch it, and, and the quality is, is exceptional for um, for that era. Because, like I said, a lot of times on YouTube, you get you kind of got to deal with uh, static or you know not so great audio or not so great video. But it really came through super. Yeah, there was one I came across. Um that I was at. It's the lawyer Ron Whitney. They had the full broadcast on there from Saratoga that day. Never seen a horse run that fast before. Lawyer? Who was Lawyer to Ron's this first trainer? And I think he broke the track record. I don't know, but at that point he was with Pletcher. Yeah. Was it McQuay? Right no. area of the country. I forget. The late Jeez. great Bob Holtus. D Wayne? No, Bob Holtus. Oh, Bob Holtus. Garrett Gomez. Huh? Gomez grew up in his farm. I, I never knew that. Bob Holtus told me that. That's crazy. Years ago. I was like, you, you're pulling my leggings. No. Oh, he was a pretty good horse lawyer, Ryan. That was one of the fastest races I've seen in person. Just took off. And I was sitting um, at Saratoga at the top of the stretch in the in the mm-hmm. grandstand seats, in the seats up there. Man, I'd never seen a horse take off like that at the top of the stretch. There was nobody beating him. Right. I mean, the field was kind of weak. But. And when they said he broke the track record, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and I think he was 8-1, to one, which was even funnier. That is funnier. I, yeah. I think that was ABC also, wasn't it? Um, the, the going in circles I just I put out um, for the you know, last week, in the last week, we got a video of the 1987 Arkansas Derby, um, which, was, of course, the, oh yeah, it, it was kind of timely. That. It was the ill-fated Demons Begone who wound up bleeding profusely in the Kentucky Derby and then being pulled up as the favorite. But um, on that uh, that that show was when Chris Lincoln and ESPN was covering racing, and they had uh, they showed. Snow Chief. They showed the wood. Oh, Snow Chief. With uh, the year gone west. Mel Studi. Nipped uh, Gulch. Um, there, there was a bunch of races on there other than uh, the Ashland and the, uh, the, the the Arkansas Derby, which were the features that day. There was, there was a bunch of them. There was so many of those those great star horses. And, and that, that was the video on that one was pretty good, too. Um, I try to get ones that video is not too bad. Because sometimes it's just too annoying to watch. 
But the right, video sucks. Yeah. But uh Yeah, that, that was that was really good today though. I I know I'm like going a little overboard, but but that was um and you know what the thing is? I was young enough I I don't remember that race. Like I don't remember watching on TV. <laughs> uh I don't I don't remember it. So I mean hell you know, for all I knew I had a baseball game that day or something, you know. When I was, I eight. was taping them on on baby. Yeah, I mean, we used to have, we used to tape the, I was taping. We used to tape the, um, tape those shows, and and we'd always tape the Chris Lincoln show was on Tuesday. I think my parents still have the tape I made of the first Breeders' Cup. The great, I think they Wild. still have it. I gotta, I have to ask them. Yes, I was so Wild upset about that. Because I wanted Slew of Gold to win so bad. <laughs> I didn't cash that ticket. I, I, I don't think I cashed. I, mean, I know I didn't cash that. Race. Matter of fact, I don't think I cashed a ticket the whole day. You know, I was talking and to someone about that today and, and the first Breeders' Cup. And, and so, you know, before then, like, it's common now that we have these big stake cards where there's five, six, eight stakes on a day. But before the Breeders' Cup, that just didn't happen. Even on, like, Traverse Day. Nope. Saratoga or Belmont Day, there'd be like two other stakes, and then there'd be you know allowance races or maiden, you know, good races. But it wasn't like um, it wasn't like it is now, where they have stake after stake after stake after stake. I said the Breeders' Cup was kind of really the first card that I remember that was like a super card where they had seven million dollar races or more on in succession. Back then, I think the only million dollar race was the uh, was the Arlington Million. I believe I believe that's true. I mean, the Derby back then was like two hundred fifty thousand. It was like crazy, and it was always said, "Yeah, oh, it was." It was prestige that much. of winning means more than the money. Well, yeah, true, but money helps too. But um, yeah, the Breeders' Cup, that first Breeders' Cup Classic, I remember watching. I, I remember this that. It was kind of a cold day in Saratoga, and it was November, like the first week of November, so it wasn't really that all that nice. And just watching the races in California, which was not something, it, it was like, not it was so warm. I wanted there. to be out there. Like we might see a race on the Chris Lincoln no. show, or maybe they'd show a race if they were covering um, like the Derby preps, and then and they showed the Wood, and the, then they showed the Santa Anita Derby, something like that. But we rarely saw um, a grouping of races from from other racetracks. When you lived in New York, you saw New York races. You didn't see California races. You didn't see um, you know Florida races very much at all. Uh, but that was kind of the first time where I was like, "Wow, look how nice it looks there. That place looks beautiful and warm." And like, "Wow, you know, like that place looks awesome." And I remember when they started doing the Florida races. Um, then it, it, you know, kind of the same thing was like, you know, you'd watch an inner track race and then you'd watch a race from Hialeah or Gulfstream and you'd be like, what are we doing here? <laughs> who, 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 who said we have to stay here? Like, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was really, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, it was, I think it was a success, but I don't know after the first year they did it. I don't know if it was 
I don't know if it was the biggest success. Oh, they didn't know what they, they had because they had was, it back with the next I, I kind year. of remember yeah. them people being a little bit. I mean, listen, racing people, racing establishment people living in the past and having no vision, and, and that's not a new thing. <laughs> you know, that's not like that's not like new. That's just always kind of been a sport that lived in the past. Uh, and I remember there was a lot of skepticism about the Breeders' Cup. And I, I remember <laughs> even after the first year, it was a little bit kind of um, poo-pooed a little bit. Like, yeah, it was pretty good, but it's not the derby. You know? Even after the second year at Aqueduct, they were like, eh. In the third Sam, year when they yeah, went back, well, that, that's that when it kind of picked up. And then the, the, final, you know, the, the, the classic that year was just, I mean, that, that's one of the greatest races that, there ever was was uh, Alishiba Ferdinand, um, you know, in front of like eighty six thousand people, some crazy number. But uh, you know, tell people that there was a Breeders' Cup at Aqueduct, and they want to smack you. <laughs> it was it was, it was so interesting. It really was. It was a great card. The turf races were. Top notch, like you really couldn't have got any no, better. It fields. was, it was, it was really, it was great. And that, that's also like when we started, like first seeing, like the only time before that in New York, we'd see Europeans come once in a while for like the Turf Classic, or like all along came over, but then she stayed. Um, you know, she came over the one year she was Horse of the Year, and honestly, that that's actually one of the really overlooked great performances by a horse was all along winning the arc then coming over here and, and winning um the rothmans which was a huge race the the, the turf mm-hmm. classic rothmans international breeders cup <laughs> before the breeders cup and then the dc international and she did it all in 44 days total four grade ones and 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 in three different countries um you know beating the boys every time it's just a feat that that's uh, you know it, it's gotten lost in, in a lot of ways. I mean, never, ever, ever, never ever. be duplicated. Well, there is no Arlington, uh, not Arlington. Well, there won't be an Arlington Million anymore. There is no um, uh, the the. Uh, I guess the, the closest the, thing uh, would be an able which. The Maryland race is, is a shell of itself. Um, the turf classic is, is, you know, it's run at a different time of the year. And um, even the Rothmans, which is what now the, the other, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's still a big race in the Woodbine, but it's not like it used to be. You know, it used to be that yeah. those were kind of the Breeders' Cups, you know. And you had to go through Belmont to in the fall, or you had to be like a dominant horse at Santa Anita in California. Otherwise, you weren't winning an Eclipse Award. That was just pretty much it. Either you came and you, you competed in the fall championship meet, or you just dominate out in California. And Kentucky racing wasn't nearly what it is now. Midwest racing was, was a, lot, a lot different than it is. And and that just was that 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 was just how things were done, and um, you know the importance of Belmont's fall champion, you know, fall meet. It's not a championship meet anymore. It's 
it's really been devastated by the Breeders' Cup. It's, it's one of the downsides of the Breeders' Cup that the fall meet at the Belmont is, is strictly now Breeders' Cup preps. And even them, they've gotten to be watered down and, and cut up a lot. Um, yeah, I remember, didn't they, at yeah, one point they yeah, called it Breeders' yeah. Cup Preview Day? It just is... Uh, it's just a different type of track, and I guess guys, for the most part, just don't use it that much to uh, get ready. Well, yeah, because they haven't had the British no, Cup at right. Belmont in forever. And I guess you really can't have a Belmont Wish they'd bring it back. and have a Breeders' Cup be meaning as much as it is. Just And, and really what hurt racing a lot of in a lot of ways, is, is the fact that horses just aren't race very much anymore. The best horses just don't, they just simply don't run that much, which is why the Swiss Skydiver Monomoy Girl matchup is, is really great to see. It's, um, hopefully it gets a little more momentum because it really hasn't been talked about. Maybe people are a little skeptical that, you know, figuring someone's going to stub a toe and suddenly cough and miss the race. But, um, I mean, really that, that race, that matchup, I mean, what other matchup in this sport, in this country right now, could you hope for that would be as anticipated as the matchup between those two Phillies? None, because you have to right. bring I mean, horses out of retirement. The, the best older horses are all kind of on the shelf right now, or or they're, they, you know, uh, they haven't been winning in this country, <laughs> you know. So, um, <laughs> the best sprinters are. They're all seven years old. Um, I mean, I, I don't know who the best turf horses are. I mean, Sadashi. You know, like there's a couple of decent turf horses, but there's no like big rivalries, right? There's no clear cut heads above, head and shoulders above everyone else's horses in, in any division. It's too early to have two year olds. Um, so, I mean, honestly, that that is the race. That That's probably, I mean, would you say those are probably the two and... most popular names in racing this year? I mean. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I don't know who third, who would be third? <laughs> right? Nobody. So, so that would be a really interesting. Charlton? Yeah, like Charlton. Charlton. <laughs> yeah. Charlton, yeah. They both have just Mixed got go. beat <laughs> by a European turf horse. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little understated. I'm really su- a little surprised it hasn't quite gotten a little more coverage. And, and may, may, maybe. Gotta uh, hype it up, man. We got to hype it up. It's, it's a little closer to Saturday. But no, I got McPeak on tomorrow, so we'll talk about that. And. Uh, I do I want him to come on. I want him to talk about that horse racing now app that he did, which which was a good idea. I mean, honestly, I'll give him credit. He put his own money into it. And, but he's had a lot of difficulty getting traction, getting tracks to let him use the, their content. Um, even though as a free app, it would seem to be a no-brainer to get your content more you know, widely spread. But... but um, uh, we'll let him talk about it tomorrow. So, sounds good. 
so anyways that's that and uh maybe by next week we'll have a solid idea of who's going to be in in the uh the derby without the late defections and maybe the week after we'll uh we'll kind of go through horse by horse and cut them up so sounds like a plan the lakers tonight thankfully Without LeBron, without, without LeBron, uh, of course. Davis, without uh, the Anthony Davis, guy, without uh, without pretty much any starter. Who's? <laughs> but hey, they everybody. Win. A win is a win is a win. So that made me happy. But uh, <laughs> as always, we appreciate your time and your honesty. Honesty is our only policy. Yeah, and I'm I'm honored to be able to give it. Uh, Wednesday, you're going to do um, Frank Vespi's got a uh, ongoing series on diversity and racing. Where can we find that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's going to be links shared on. Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. So it'd be live streamed. Um, it's got some production value associated with it. Um, on with two people, Nikel Newlist and Dave. David Gutfren, my guy. I can tell you one thing about yes. David Gutfren. He ain't afraid to say what's on his mind. <laughs> He is not. <laughs> you can criticize yes. the guy for whatever you want, but you can't say that he's not willing to say what's on his mind. Uh, so, well, that'll be yeah, good. He's that fantastic. Like a, a good, good, uh, good show. And, yeah, uh, it should be good. Uh, I'll send out the links out. for sure. It's uh, un- unfortunately, it's a timely topic. As, as uh, you know, <laughs> boy. <laughs> You know, yeah, I don't like to talk about these kind of things because this is a racing show, and I like to talk about politics that have nothing to do with racing. It's not even about politics. It's about why do cops pull people over for bullshit? Like, just sit in your car. There's a lot of theories on that. Look for criminals. Like where what where we live down here, there's plenty of criminals you can find. You don't have to go looking for them. <laughs> you know uh, things hanging. I, I got pulled over in Jersey one time because I had my hang down from on the park, which was designed to go around, um, you know, the the rearview mirror, and I got pulled over by the cops. He said uh, he was going to give me a ticket. So what are you giving me a ticket for? And he said because uh, according to New Jersey law, blah 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 blah. I was like, dude, seriously, like that's what you pulled me over for? Like I wasn't speeding. I go. I could have been speeding. Yeah. I might have, you know, <laughs> you know, failure, uh, failed to yield or something like that. So I'm not exactly, uh, you know, Mario ready, but like, yeah, seriously, not like, what you pulled told you. <laughs> like this is what the thing is for. Well, it could be the, uh, um, obstructing your view or something like that. Uh, and I had my oh, glasses come on, on, dude. Which, you know, <laughs> like the Hubble telescope, and I was like, dude, look at my vision. Does this look like I, I I could see through the damn thing with these glasses? Yeah, and I, and I wound up getting a pair of aquariums. Uh, who, uh, 
Yes. Oh my God, you got a ticket? I, probably, I don't that? know if I would have got a ticket or not, but when I when I acted like dumbfounded like that, I was like, "That's really what you're pulling me over for?" Like, at least if it was speeding, I, I mean, I might have been doing it. It was right in New Jersey, like halfway going to Mammoth. Yeah, you got and, pulled and he over. literally said that, and I was like, "Well, this is, thing is designed to go on, on the hang down. It's a hang down. You know, where am I supposed to put it? Oh, well, you should keep it in your glove compartment <laughs> until you need it." Oh and, my and god, bro! It, it's like <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like that's like that's the kind. All right, of what's thing what's the end game here? That makes you just want to slap the guys in the face, and 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 in their defense, a lot of times, especially these smaller towns, are asking these guys to pull people over to to just to generate revenue. Period. Oh yeah, just absolutely. Generate revenue. Mm-hmm. And it's Absolutely. wrong. It's wrong. And it's another way that politicians suck. Because most places, they have plenty of tax money. Plenty of tax money. They have plenty of tax money. This nonsense, though, they have plenty of money. The government wastes more money than, than, than even my ex-wife. She was really good at wasting money. And she'd admit she's good at wasting money. But seriously, like... I, that that did happen to me, but they they pull people over for nonsense, and then they act like the Gestapo, like do what I say. Who the who the who the hell are you? <laughs> I remember I got pulled over coming from Mohegan Sun one night, and they pulled me over and said my license plate was too dirty. Me, you know, exactly. you know how things get in the Northeast when there's, you know. Uh, ice and salt and stuff and it, it wasn't clean by any means no, but it wasn't right. worth it they just fish a lot of times and, and that, that that's yeah that happened to my wife not a not a you know probably about a month ago where you know i guess the cop thought she was in a place she shouldn't have been just in general pulled her over gave her the you know read her the riot act about you know what are you doing over here and this that and the other and it was a bunch of nonsense. I told you about the time I got just hassled her for no reason, Hialeah, right? I had a brand new <laughs> yeah. BMW X5, brand new. Like they were like not even out yet. Like this was like Randy Romero's wife Cricket got got me this car, this truck, this SUV, right? And it had everything in it. I was the first person in the state of Kentucky. That's like the they'll put on my gravestone. I was first person in Kentucky to get X5. And I was going to Hialeah, and you know Hialeah is a difficult place to get to from '95. It, it, there's no highways; it's all yeah. back roads, and, um, or you know, or, or, or residential for the most part. And and uh, I got pulled over by oh, yeah. a state trooper of all people. This this, this big black guy looked like Warren Sapp, and uh, I, I didn't know <laughs> what if I what I was doing. Again, it was like five o'clock in the morning, and I was like, shit. Because by Hialeah, there was a lot of one-way streets, and there was a lot of, you know, like they built on top of on top of on top. So things didn't all necessarily always make sense, and there was a lot of lights, and, you know, you had the blinking red light, which meant you kind of stop and go through, and then there's a lot of stop signs. And, I mean, it wasn't inconceivable at the time for me to have made, you know, (laughs) committed a traffic violation. And he he took my stuff, and... uh, you know, my license, my registration and stuff. And, and he ran at everything and he, 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 he said, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And I was like, I'm going to work, He's like work. Where do you work? And I, I had a bridle, a horse bridle. And I showed him and he had the light, you know, flashed right on my, 
Oh, yeah. So um, he wanted a tip. And he said, you know, I pulled you over. I said, I have no idea. Did I do something wrong? I said, you know, like, I might have. And he's like, no. You guy, guy, looks like you driving a car like this in this neighborhood at this time of the day. That's, you know. I was like, so you profiled me, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. And he let me go. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong, but... Uh, no, nothing, but it was, yeah, it was funny because I, Make I, I was like, shit, did I go through a light, you know, or the, did I not stop or, because there's a, you know, like, at that time of the day when there's no, when there's no traffic, you know. Yeah, there's little infractions. You right on red. Right. Well, you might not exactly stop 100% and then, you know, the, you can always, but then that's the thing is the cops pull you over for like the littlest things and I'm sure that every once in a while they hit pay dirt and they, they wind up finding some you know long lost criminal that they've been looking for but for the most part a lot of times especially when someone hasn't done anything wrong like people don't like to be treated in this country like they did something wrong if they haven't done anything wrong and right or wrong that's just where society is these days and uh sometimes I, i think that their attitudes and don't get me wrong, being a cop is a hard job, especially in some of these nasty neighborhoods where, where you know, Tough. like, there's always kind of stuff going on. Um, you know, like, you, you live, you, you go down in southern Kentucky and some of them, you know, those uh, rural areas where, you know, every rural other house is a mess lab. <laughs> you, know, you never know what you're walking into. But um, sometimes I, I think they just, you know, kind of, they exasperate the situation like like the, just the wrong video mentality they showed with the army yeah. officer in the Virginia, you know, like why? Like, I, I like, seriously, number one, the Still guy escalated. The they didn't really have a reason to pull him over. They pulled him over because, you know, he they said his windows were tinted and he was driving slow, which could have been a million different reasons. And like once they f- saw that it was a guy that wasn't going to fit the description of who they thought they were, were going to see, then it should have just been, you know, listen, right. We just wonder what you, you were doing. Like, even then, you know, they insulted the guy. When you listen to they insulted him, they said, what are you a specialist? <laughs> the guy's a Lieutenant, you know, like, like, why would you say that? Like, why would you say that? It just doesn't make any sense. All they Hassling is just escalated from the jump. Like, you yeah. know, it probably didn't need to be all that crazy. No, right, exactly. And they wanted to pepper spray in the guy. And, like, he didn't really do anything wrong. And admittedly, they, they, they admitted that he didn't do anything wrong. But that that's how many times does this happen Correct. that we don't hear about it, that we don't have video, that, that uh, you know, where it gets to be an uh, he said, she said kind of situation. You know, like, that's the thing is, is when there's real live criminals and crimes out there. No. I don't envy being a cop at all, 100 at all. But sometimes they're, they're, they're making these situations. And, and after all that, that we've been through, you would think that the, at least the training would be like, listen, <laughs> just don't be a dick. Like, just be nice. You know? and, and, and like, why are you shooting people? Why are you tasing people? Because they won't get out of the car. Like, there's got to be a way of, of dealing with it, to, you know, to, to get the situation settled. But, 
know, just to, to, to immediately go to the taser. Right. It's it's a it's a, it's a mentality that has to be retrained out of the whole system. And it's unfortunate, you know, when people lose their lives over it unnecessarily. Um, no, right. And and the thing is, is, is it, it works against right police in general because it just takes one bad guy, one bad cop to make everybody wary of everyone else wearing a uniform. And, and that's, that's, and I, I get that, uh, you know, sometimes um, it's like when trainers, oh, well, you know, these bad trainers, you guys did something about it. Right. And I always say, well, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go to his barn and beat him up? Would you like him to get a posse? We'll get a posse and we'll string him up outside the, the you know, the, 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 the fucking front gate. Like, should we turn his horses loose? Should we key his car? Like, what exactly do you think we can do? You know, like, <laughs> I don't have any evidence against these guys. Like, we're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, like, like storm the castle at night with uh, like Frankenstein. Yeah. Right. Like, like w- when you say that, like, oh, you know, you, you people should police the bad yeah, guys. We do. Like, <laughs> like bad cops. Like, like how can, you know, cops have unions and, and then like a lot of them are protected by the union. And the fact of the matter is the union should throw yeah, the right. bad guys under the bus because they're bad guys. You know, it's unfortunate. It Hopefully we can solve some problem. of it anyway and make it a little bit better. But sometimes it kind of goes away and then it just escalates. Like, you know, you get three, four of them in a, in a, in a two week span. And it's like, geez, what's going on? Absolutely. And and I get that there's also, you know, sure. people that are belligerent, you know, a, guy, a guy's drunk, right? You pull him over and he's drunk. Well, Listen, whatever happens, I'm not saying you shoot them or anything like that, but, you know, those kind of issues are going to wind up happening. And, and it's not like the cop's always a bad guy just because the guy gets, refuses to get out of the car. Sometimes in that kind of situation, well, you got to get him out of the car. And it might not be pretty, but like if they've already committed crimes, that's one thing. But, you know, for these petty, nonsensical things, that, that that's just where it, to me, it just, Very there's just fun. a disconnect in that. If if you know we're going to pull a guy over because his his tags are not where they're supposed to be, or you know, like I said, I, I got pulled <laughs> over in Jersey, new in in uh, New Egypt, New Jersey, right, right by where all the trainers and the, the Trotter Trainer Center are. Uh, going to Monmouth, and uh, yeah, I got a ticket. I had to I had to get a lawyer to get get rid of that ticket. That sucks. Away. Yep. Yep, but uh, well, that's my social. Hey, we we spread it around here on the Big Monday. <sighs> you never know. Listen, I'm always about fifty fifty to get to get mugged and going to get. My you know, I thought about that when spot. I left your house <laughs> on the Florida Derby when I was walking to the garage <laughs> in that alley. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, I should have brought my gun." <laughs> <laughs> no man, we're good here. And then I was like, wait a minute, I know you're, you're good over something. here. It's over over at yeah. somebody on your place. And there are some derelict people around that area. Ooh. Uh, that when that lady was screaming. Man, you gotta get that on tape next time, ago, man. man. <laughs> I was afraid. 
That lady was nuts, man. She 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 was about five ten, about four sixty, and she had a, a her husband or whatever was a was a was a dread little and guy. He was about four. He was about five six. He weighed about ninety four pounds. That's fantastic. I mean, it was like, and she was she was throwing stuff, man. She was having a fit, and I wound up See? getting free shrimp out of it because they gave me. Yeah, they gave me a shrimp meal along with, with oh, fried conscience. No, yeah. They were so they were so disturbed because that lady was just going nuts. She was going nuts on them. And then the best is as I'm driving out the drive the drive through, there's a Watch cop it. sitting in the <laughs> middle of the road. Yeah, the, it's one of those areas where the cops sit in the middle of the road because you know they just assume something's gonna happen. And uh, she would start running over there to, 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 to get the cop <laughs> on her side. <laughs> she, she thought she was the aggrieved party. <laughs> She'd been throwing stuff at those poor people. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, it would have it been a viral video if I had enough, uh, if I had enough courage to, to not face her wrath. Probably. She'd been throwing stuff at me. <laughs> Yeah, man, she was. She looked like the, the 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 modern day Stacks Calhoun. Big. She was a big lady. She was big, man. She was screaming. Anyways, we'll uh, we'll be listening to you on Wednesday and uh, see uh, see what happens. Uh, Wild man, weird, wacky stuff, as Johnny Carson used to say. I think chaos is, is good. It seems like it's been chaos the last few weeks, and uh, and there's there doesn't really seem to be any reason. I mean, look at the last two, the last two runnings of the yeah. of the preps Wild. in New York. Yeah, yeah, eighty to one shot. shot right? a, what, what was eighty to one shot? Of course, it never run, run on the dirt. Wins the Santa Anita Derby. This is gonna be great. Crazy. All right, my man. All right, Barry. Yes, man. We'll Thank talk. you for having me.